This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the day. What a day, man. You're starting a new one, and what a great uh, day we're celebrating. Fresh breath day. That minty, beautiful smell of fresh breath. Are you having a good fresh breath day? Because if you are, you know it's going to be all day long. Fresh breath day. So when you get to work today, just go up. Maybe stand a little closer to your coworker than normal and just... Say thanks for your fresh breath. That's what Ben did to me today. Kind of awkward. Just walked right up. Ben doesn't even have a microphone. Uh, fresh breath day. Ben, now that uh, we're trying to get you dating, I want you to know the importance of fresh breath. So is that really important? Yes. Very. Let me just give it Thank from you, a woman's Kathy. point of view. Very. And Kathy confirms it. Uh, so two out of uh, nine out of ten dentists agree. Okay, I'll I'll think about it. And because today's fresh breath day, what a great day to start! Not like you haven't you you have great hygiene, so yeah, just keep it up. Okay, thanks. That's all I wanted you to know. Fresh breath day, uh, great great day today. By the way, hopefully, when uh, tonight ten GOP candidates will be on stage uh, in the adult party. In the juniors, Little League, there'll be seven on stage, I believe. Total of 17 GOP candidates going head-to-head. Are you excited for it? Because this is, this is political, you know, nirvana. <laughs> They're all hoping something goes down. And I'm pretty sure something's going to happen. Someone's got to make a move. Someone's going to, you know, make a comment about the Trumpster. And they will then... Be inviscerated. Is that? I'm pretty sure that's what's going to happen. I, I haven't checked the. I haven't checked what's what the GOP has planned for tonight. Ten candidates. It's going to be fun. Uh, in the juniors, though, uh, I think personally we'll probably see more come out of there because those they're going to be dancing really hard. You're probably going to see Perry shine. That's where I'm going with my money on Perry. In the uh, in the other one, um, I think you're going to see Ted Cruz do something crazy. I'm looking at a picture right now, and he's looking at me saying, tonight I'm doing something crazy. I'm going to be known tonight. Anyway, I hope you're interested in it because when you think about it, it is – it's the, just the beginning of the whole thing. But, man, this is the first debate. And, in fact, a lot of the Democrats – not a lot, but uh, like Martin O'Malley, he's frustrated because the Democrats where, – where are the debates? In fact, he's even saying, I think we're setting this thing up for Hillary Clinton. It's not fair. Hillary Clinton should be debating just as many times as the GOP. Anyway, so hopefully uh, you're ready for that. That'll be up uh, later tonight. Tons of exciting things there, of course. And Jon Stewart last night. It's interesting he chose the night of the debate to end all things. He probably didn't know that. But Jon Stewart and... Whether you like him or not, Jon Stewart has made a big, uh, I think, dent in, in the political world 
and in just the dialogue and the discussion that goes on in this country, it's really an interesting phenomenon where um, the conservative, they, they pretty much can dominate radio. Conservatives, Rush Limbaugh, Sean Hannity, these guys, they have huge followings, tons of radio. Conservatives dominate it. Uh, liberals have a harder time getting radio to work. But when it comes to TV, there are no commentators really like John Stewart that's more lit with a more conservative bent. In fact, John has off of John's show, there's been 10, 15 really famous, popular people that have come out of it. I didn't even know Steve Carell was once on John Stewart's show. I didn't know that. John Oliver has his own show on HBO now. And, you know, they just politely or not even politely, irreverently blow people up that they don't quite like, which is pretty much what Rush Limbaugh does every day, too. So it's an interesting little world we live in. And now one of the big kings is done. He's done. I mean, it really is. It's the equivalent of like a Rush Limbaugh saying, I'm done. Anyway, you may not even know it, but it's it's a big deal. By the way, they're finding more plane parts coming up on Reunion Island. I'm, I'm convinced Reunion Island, I've never been there. I'm sure it's a beautiful place, but it seems like it is the drain, the bottom of the tub, the drain. And they're now starting to find stuff in the drain. I mean, isn't it amazing? It's been washing up on shore. Powerful. These these things have traveled thousands of miles and land on some guy's beach. Crazy. Well, you know, it's a crazy world. Today we're going to be talking about Pluto. Remember, we just uh, had a really cool experience where we had one of our rovers or one of our uh, orbiters, I can't remember, her probes that we sent out there. It took a long time to get there. And uh, now we've learned a lot about Pluto. So I wanted to bring on, bring on Dr. Ben Bromley. We'll bring him on in a minute to find out what we've actually learned about Pluto. But before we do that... Let's get to our headlines with Kathy Aiken. Good morning, everyone. The first GOP presidential debate is set to start at 5 p.m. Eastern time this afternoon in Ohio. The first debate features the se- at seven with the lowest poll numbers. The primetime debate at 7 p.m. Eastern will feature the top 10 candidates, including frontrunner Donald Trump. I don't want to attack anybody, and, uh, you know, maybe I'll be attacked and maybe not. I'd rather just discuss, discuss the issues. But, you know, certainly I don't want to attack. If I'm attacked, I have to, you know, do something back. But I'd like it to be very, to be very civil. Jeb Bush and Scott Walker will be on each side of Trump. The debate is scheduled to last two hours. A 29-year-old man with a history of mental illness attacked a group of moviegoers in Tennessee yesterday. The man used pepper spray and began attacking a family with a hatchet. He also had a pellet gun and was wearing a surgical mask. A man identified only as Steve was injured in the attack. I would ask anyone to pray for his family because he obviously has some mental problems or something else. The suspect was shot and killed by a SWAT team when he tried to leave through the theater's back door. The U.S. carried out its first airstrikes on ISIS from a Turkish military base yesterday. Last month, Turkey agreed to allow attacks on Islamic State in nearby Syria and Iraq. No details of the airstrikes have been released. Malaysia's prime minister announced this morning that a piece of an airplane wing found on an island in the Indian Ocean did belong to the missing Flight 370. Today... 515 days since the plane disappeared. It is with a very heavy heart that I must tell you 
that an international team of experts have conclusively confirmed that the aircraft debris found on Reunion Island is indeed from MH370. However, other officials were not so confident, saying only there's a strong possibility it's a match. Meanwhile, Malaysian officials say they've collected other plane debris on Reunion Island, including a plane window that will also be examined. A voter ID law in Texas was struck down yesterday. A federal appeals court in New Orleans said the law, which requires voters to bring a government-issued photo ID to the polls, discriminates against Hispanic and black voters. The court also said it violated the Voting Rights Act of 1965. The Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals is sending the law to Corpus Christi, which will decide if the law is discriminatory. Fifty years ago today, President Lyndon Johnson signed the Voting Rights Act, allowing equal writing, uh, voting rights for African Americans. This came after the historic Selma March in 1965. Today also marks the 70th anniversary of the United States dropping a first atomic bomb on Japan, killing 140,000 people by the end of the year. Earlier this morning, the nation's prime minister and delegates from 100 countries gathered at Hiroshima Peace Memorial to mark the anniversary. They also called for an end to nuclear weapons. Neither of the two U.S. representatives spoke at the ceremony. A judge has ordered Bill Cosby to give a deposition in a lawsuit that alleges he sexually abused Judith Huth in 1974. Huth was just 15 years old at the time. Cosby will answer questions from Huth's attorney on October 9th. Huth, who will be questioned by Cosby attorneys a week later, is one of several women who have accused the entertainer of sexual assault. And Matt, you know, there's that mm-hmm. never-ending debate on who's the better driver, the oh. male or the female, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we have five reasons men are better drivers. Really? Here okay. okay. Yeah. Number one. They're more focused. Uh, uh, what? You have a one-track mind, right? And okay, yeah. And laser-focused on driving. Yeah. Okay. More confidence on the road. Oh, yeah. More sure. assertive. Mm-hmm. Okay. Number four, have few distractions. Huh? Women usually have a car full of kids oh, yeah. and doing that kind of thing. And men are like usually alone. Just all alone. More protective. So instead of reaching over to be a human safety belt, they'll apply the brake while at the same time giving the other driver a piece of his mind. Oh, there you go. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, you can do both at the I same time. I did that time, this so that's morning. Good. <laughs> Top five reasons women are better drivers. Okay. Number one, motherly instincts. Mm. They're that original seatbelt. You know, we always yeah, throw always our grab. arm over there, even right. though they're in their seatbelts. We think we have to protect them. They're more passive. So rather than racing another driver for that perfect parking spot, we kind of go, yeah, go ahead. You yeah, can have yeah, it. Sure. Yeah, men don't, men don't do that. Uh, number three. We are not afraid to ask for directions. Oh, yeah. It's so true. What is it with you guys? You never will ask for directions. Well, is it knows? a sign of weakness? No, or no, what no. Is it? It's who knows more where I'm going than I do. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm not good thing ask. with GPS now. It's you guys have totally. a good excuse. Now we just got Siri. Number four, we have more patience. Mm. And number five, we're better at multitasking. We're not mm. only steering the wheel. We're applying the gas, checking multiple mirrors, and paying attention to traffic signs. And putting your makeup on. Exactly. Yes. So it's interesting. But we're all on the road at the same time. Exactly. And yet we're all getting in accidents. Mm-hmm. So who's better driver, you or your wife? My wife for sure. Well, let's just say it depends what's <laughs> happening. If – see, like she hates like a two-lane highway. Mm-hmm. Like it terrifies That's her. That's scary. I don't – it doesn't bother so me. you kind of stay over to the right side a little mm, bit. Mm-hmm. If you're going to die, you're going to die. Mm-hmm. It won't okay. matter if it's two-lane, four-lane, 20-lane. <laughs> but so I'm probably better in like scarier situations. But she had never had a ticket – in fact, she's had one ticket in her life on the day she got her license. Really? Mm-hmm. What did she do wrong? 
She just was speeding. Oh, speeding. Okay. And I get usually at least a ticket a year, maybe two. For speeding? Uh-huh. I got a lead foot. But that's, I think, it was because of my plantar fasciitis. That could have been. That yeah. usually weighs I your foot just down just a little foot. bit. For sure. <laughs> so now, so I think uh, she's probably a better driver overall. But if we want to, like, live in a dangerous situation, put me in the wheel. Okay. So let's say you and your wife are going somewhere and she wants to drive. Are you okay with that? Yes. There's but lots she, of men who do not oh, like that. that's nap time? Yeah. I love that. Because we like my kids will be watching a movie in the back, and my, my they're loving it. Yeah, I would sit asleep. in the back, mm-hmm. I'd take my shoes and socks off, I'd have my kids rub my feet. <laughs> oh, see, a lot of men just don't like the woman yeah. driving, they think really? that's yeah, yeah, they need to get it's over a chauvinistic that. thing. I it think it totally so, yeah. is. Oh, good, I'm glad to hear that. Just guys out there, just take your shoes off. If you have kids, have them rub your feet. <laughs> it's just good living, it's like you're being chauffeured. Come on. Get rid of chivalry. It is dead. Good job, Kathy. Good job. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know who's safer. I mean, I think we all are really honestly kind of messed up on the road. When someone's eating a hamburger on your left and on your right they're applying makeup, we're going to die. It doesn't matter. Your gender. We're going to take a break, folks. When we come back, Dr. Ben Bromley will be joining us. He is a professor of physics and astronomy from the University of Utah. He's going to update us on what New Horizons found in Pluto. Nine discoveries, at least. There's probably a lot more than that. We'll find out. We're going to unfold everything we know about the dwarf planet. Plus, we're going to find out where that uh, that cute little probe has gone next. Interesting stuff. Stick with us. We're talking Pluto when we come back right here on The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to The Matt Townsend Show. If you remember about three weeks ago on July 14th, NASA's New Horizons probe uh, conducted the first ever flyby of of the dwarf planet Pluto after, you know, about a nine, I think, and a half year trip. It's amazing. Phenomenal thing, right? It was launched nine and a half years ago and bada boom, bada bing, it flies by. It should be... It should be one of the most interesting things that's happened this year. And yet, yeah, we've moved on. You know, we're all wondering how Trump will do tonight. But I didn't want the story to die without knowing what we learned, right? We we, we were all excited. We uploaded a few pictures of Pluto. Oh, okay, that's Pluto. That's great. But I wanted to know what did we actually learn from this $720 million project And uh, what else are we going to learn? So we've asked Dr. Ben Bromley to join us. He's a professor of physics and astronomy at the University of Utah. He's here to tell us what we've learned about uh, Pluto, some of the new discoveries, and what we can expect next. Dr. Ben Bromley, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thank you very much. Great to have you. Uh, I mean, honestly, it's always always fun to have a physicist on the show because you, you guys know so much, and you can explain to us a bunch of stuff. Like I just heard, and you tell me if this is true, because I don't think anybody knew this, 
Well, I mean, none of my people knew this. We on the flight to Pluto, the New Horizons probe actually did a one or two circle orbit around Jupiter. It did uh, fly by Jupiter. In fact, that was essential to uh, getting New Horizons on its way to Pluto. It used the gravity of Jupiter and Jupiter's motion around the sun to kind of fling it off into the outer solar system. Holy cow. And that's cool. We couldn't have done it without knowing that, right? So we had to have enough knowledge to know that we needed a little ricochet slingshot push from Jupiter. That's right. In order to move something into the outer solar system in a reasonably short period of time, okay, it was a decade almost, <laughs> in order to move something out there, you really need you really need help. Um, I don't want to... Uh, um, I don't think I can overstate how uh, complex the problem is. There are yeah. a lot of moving parts in the calculation, and NASA indeed has some experience with this. But it's amazing. You know, in 10 years of flight time, uh, the New Horizons satellite arrived within minutes of its scheduled uh, <laughs> uh, appointment with Pluto. Very, very cool. That is cool. I mean, think about it, just an airline. Right. right. I mean, that's amazing. We can send it out. How many miles was it? Uh, we're, we're talking about three billion miles. <laughs> we can send a, a, a probe three billion miles and, and it will pass within uh, a few minutes of when it was supposed to and uh, actually a little closer than we thought it would be. Is that right? I got to be where it was supposed to be. Oh, it was exactly where it was supposed to be. Yeah, I think it, that's pretty cool. And yet, we have a hard time getting our flight to Colorado to work. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. The, uh, but occasionally they get them right, and sometimes they're early. New Horizons had to be right on time, and it was. Hmm. Talk about um, talk about what we've learned. This is, I mean, this is historic, but. We, I'm assuming we're gathering a ton of data, and still, just from what the the pictures we've taken and the information we've gathered, I'm sure there's a lot of pretty neat discoveries. Oh, it's really amazing. Um, I just want to start off with the the atmosphere. Um, Pluto turns out has a pretty complex atmosphere. Something I really didn't think about before the New Horizons flyby, but in, indeed, it's it's a place where um, simple hydrocarbon molecules can build up, a, even a haze, sort of like a smog mm. form around the planet, and indeed, you know, helps coat it and, and give it its appearance that we see today. Um, I, I think, you know, out here from the perspective of uh, Utah and the Rocky Mountain West, the amazing, another amazing aspect is the geology. You know, we thought that Pluto, as a dwarf planet, like you mentioned, yeah. was just a, a cold, still ball of dirty ice. I'm <laughs> thinking like a Calvin and Hobbes snowball. Right. You know, and we expect the way it sort of evolves in time is just to pick up pockmarks from impacts from various, you know, chunks of debris in the outer solar system. You know, like the moon's got a bunch of craters. Yeah. But it looks like it's been rejuvenated. The surface of Pluto seems very, very young. Plus, it's got mountains like our Rockies. Wow. So, geologically, it's alive. I don't think anyone expected that. Isn't that amazing? I mean, like, yeah, we just, I guess you just thought it was just a ball of ice. And yet it's alive. So it, I guess it has activity, volcanic. What, I mean, what makes it alive? Volcanic activity? How does that work? Oh, I have no real idea. I think, and we're not alone in these questions. Man, you know, Ben, you got to solve this. Awesome, and we'll be we'll be piecing it together for you know over the next few years at least. 
Is it talk? Just talk about how come about the dwarf planet idea. What? How come they were? Uh, how come they demoted Pluto? Well, yeah, re- I'm, I'm, re- I'm, I love Pluto, and I don't like to think of it as a demotion. You know, astronomers try to put things into groups yeah. uh, to understand, you know, what they are and really where they came from. And our own solar system has uh, several types of planets. We've got our rocky planets, um, Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, uh, and closer to the sun, um, warm, hot even. Mm-hmm. And further out, we've got these gas giants, um, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, and Neptune. These things are much bigger than the rocky planets. Uh, they formed differently. They, they formed um, actually where there was more ices and gas, and they formed quickly when the solar system was young compared to, uh, say, the last stages of the Earth's formation. So we've already got these classes of, of planets, these rocky planets and gas giants. And uh, people began to discover um, in the last few decades that uh, there were other icy small bodies like Pluto um, beyond the orbit of Neptune. So Pluto, which was already sort of an anomaly, being teeny, smaller, smaller than the moon, and a you know, tiny ball of ice, um, uh, was, as it stood alone for some time. But then we recognized that there were more, that it was one of a class of Kuiper Belt objects, these small icy bodies out, outside. And they have their own uh, formation history. So the demotion was really just sort of a way of identifying characteristics. Okay. Not a big deal. How do you feel about it? I'm ticked. Uh. I mean, you know, <laughs> no planet wants to be called a dwarf planet. Uh, what? <laughs> but what's the other planet right outside by there? The, I mean, the other uh, – there's another um, entity that even, that even could – I guess that could be called a planet. Do you know what I'm talking uh, about? Actually, there there are a few bodies out out uh, in the um, in the outer solar system that people have identified. One is a uh, famous one is known as Sedna. Yeah, it's that's it. Pluto like it's on a much more extended orbit, um, but we believe it's similar to Pluto in its characteristics, its size, and composition. It's um. Uh, there's a there's another one too, which is uh, really kind of cool. Another dwarf planet actually resides right next to Pluto. It's its uh, binary partner, Charon. Interesting. So, so there, there, did we, we knew this before, right? We did. That's been known since the 70s. Okay. Pluto is really a binary planet. And you can think of replacing our moon um, with Mars and having the Earth and Mars orbit together. It's hmm. sort, of, sort of similar. And, 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 and Pluto also has two or th- multiple moons, right? It does. Isn't that cool? That is so, cool. You know, we, we demote it from planethood, and then it comes back at us and says, ha, uh-huh. well, I've got <laughs> more moons than you, Earth. How many moons? Is it two moons? It's outside of the Pluto-Charon binary. You can think of Charon as being one big moon. There okay. are four other moons. Holy cow. Nix, Nix, Kerberos, and Hydra. And they're really amazing when, when you think about how they're organized around Pluto. The Pluto-Charon month is about six days. <laughs> wow. They orbit each other um, uh, that quickly. The next closest moon, Styx, orbits a third as fast. Then um, Nix, a quarter as fast. And then a fifth. And Hydra, um, one-sixth as fast as the Pluto-Charon. How do you oh, set God. that up? I know. Isn't that That's amazing? So cool, isn't it? That is cool. And then just, just to be on the surface of Pluto and have these moons coming through or passing. I mean, what a beautiful experience. 
You got to get there. Really neat idea. You're right. Wouldn't that be cool to just be sitting there? (laughs) I should have been an I should have been an astrophysicist. What's my deal? I don't join us. I don't do math, Ben. I'm not a math guy. I'm a oh, I'm a you, social you science guy. It. It's a language. Oh, is it? Is that all it is? Oh, that's good. Let's do this, Ben. Let's take a break. Come back. I want to know more what we're finding out. I also want to know why why any of this matters to us. I mean, I, it, it's exciting. It's interesting, but it it seems like you know NASA's not getting the attention it used to, and and it maybe needs. So I want us to figure out why as humans we need to keep figuring out what's going on in space. More with Dr. Ben uh, Bromley right here uh, at at, uh, BYU Radio. He is from the University of Utah, professor of physics and astronomy there. He's helping us understand the great learnings that have come out of Pluto so far. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we're doing a quick update on uh, Pluto and NASA's New Horizons probe that uh, passed by Pluto on July 14th, a nine-and-a-half-ish year journey, like three billion miles or so. Amazing, really. It's an amazing feat. And can you imagine, you know, baking a cake and then waiting nine-and-a-half years for it to be done? Before you can now cut it open and find out how good it is. Well, today our great guest, Dr. Ben Bromley, a professor at the University of Utah of Physics and Astronomy. He's here today. He's actually on the phone today teaching us about what we've learned about the planet Pluto. One thing is it's it's actually got a pretty active um, surface. And so it's not just this dead ice planet. It's It's actually got some pretty amazing geophysical structures there. So Dr. Ben Bromley, welcome back and continue to teach us. What else? What else have we learned about Pluto? Well, uh, one of the the fascinating things for uh, me about uh, the Pluto uh, system is its moons we we talked about. Yeah. The uh, we're finally actually being able to see what they look like and they kind of look like potatoes. Did they They're really? just sort of lumpy. They're tens of miles across. And we're awaiting to learn, you know, what they're made of. Uh, the the nature of these moons is going to teach us about how uh, Pluto and its partner Charon uh, came to be. We think that Pluto and Charon uh, uh, were uh, individual dwarf planets roaming alone out there, and they had a grazing collision, which uh, helped them, you know, come together and, and uh, kind of capture each other. And in the process, they uh, formed this uh, very rich uh, moon system. Huh. How do we know what uh, what makes up these potato-like moons, these mun- mushed? I mean, how do we know that? Just from a picture? We'll, we'll learn uh, uh, a bit from their, their shapes, you know, whether these things were fragments of a collision or whether hmm. they were assembled as, as time went on from the debris of the collision. But what we'll really uh, be able to pick up is data from the various instruments on board New Horizons, and hopefully they'll be able to use 
uh, infrared and ultraviolet um, uh, imaging or information light to yeah. assess what these things are made of. Yeah, I guess the data is just – you're just going to continue to just evaluate and break down and cut up the data for years. That's right. Listen, you, you mentioned it was like a cake. You have to wait. Right. It's, um, it's worse than that. <laughs> you know, you, the cake is now ready. But because New Horizons is so far away uh, and, it, you know, it's only got a limited power supply on board, you know, it's like uh, a modern-day technology, you know, modern-day data being um, pumped through a 1980s internet line, oh. it's just going to dribble. We'll be eating our cake in, in you know, in little crumbs. Oh, that is a nightmare. Year. Especially, yeah, because you guys are so used to this. Some other, I guess that's always been that way in space, you know, understanding space. But now you've got, you know it's happened, you know there was success, and now you just got to wait for it to just dribble out. Got to wait for it all. Like molasses out of a tree. That's right. Oh, that is painful. But I think it's important to view the uh, the information that New Horizons um, collected as more than just sending a, a independent space probe uh, out into the into the solar system. You know, we we were part of the process. It turns out that one of the instruments on New Horizons, known as um, Rex, they all have kind of. Full names is Alex, Rex, Rex yeah. Lori, and Ralph. <laughs> Sounds uh, like my neighborhood. <laughs> one of the uh, instruments was actually uh, pointed toward the Earth, and we beamed a radio uh, signal to New Horizons, and it interpreted that signal as the um, our radio beam passed by Pluto huh. itself. It's, I think it's really cool. That is cool. You know, we're, we're all part of this uh, this experiment. It's not just off there on its own. Is um. What else did you – I mean, one thing that I know that was noticed was there's this weird, like, heart-shaped form on the surface. Uh, and as a guy that's a big relationship, you know, coach, you know, I think that means that Pluto loves us. <laughs> I, I think it has to be. Is it that? <laughs> or, or what would you say as an astrophysicist? Out, you know, I, um, I, I'm not exactly sure how – the, uh, geo, uh, the planetary geologists will interpret uh, uh, sort of structures or features like uh, the heart, but it, I think its, it's very presence um, means that, that Pluto loves uh, planetary <laughs> geologists. That's true. Is that what it is? Yeah, he's, they're sending their love out. Wasn't Pluto actually? It, it was. It was. Um, it was the pla- uh, the only planet I think founded or now dwarf planet founded by an american is that true yeah, I, I i think that's right um in in 1930 uh, clyde tombaugh uh, in uh, flagstaff arizona uh, discovered it it was a you know a, a labor of love he was looking through photographic plates of the sky seeking out tiny little displacements of dots it was hmm. really amazing yeah it's the old school method too huh Yep, <laughs> <laughs> which is which is pretty cool. And then his, uh, I guess, some of his ashes were placed on the orbiter, and I mean that's pretty cool too. That that orbiter is just going to keep going, right? It's headed off. You know, it, it'll never catch up with some of our other other satellites, but you know they're headed off into our galaxy. Will it continue to to send back information? It will. It's it's got um, elect- electric power that'll that'll last for. Um, for uh, years, yeah. Um, for now, and and 
what we're really hoping is for an encore, uh, New Horizons will pass by another dwarf planet, an, an object out in this uh, Kuiper belt yeah. uh, in the outer solar system. Uh, NASA scientists using the Hubble Space Telescope found at least one candidate uh, where they could sort of drive the, the New Horizons space probe um, toward. And, and if uh, they can make a good case for it, we'll hope that NASA really goes for it. It'll be great. Hmm. You know, it's um, it, it's amazing, too, that I guess that we, we're fairly accurate, even though we really have, I guess, advanced knowledge, but really limited knowledge to what's possible. Uh, we were pretty accurate on Pluto. I guess one thing they found was the size of Pluto bigger or smaller than they thought, or was it dead on? It, uh, I'm seeing the numbers kind of creep up um, just a just a tiny little bit um, for uh, New Horizons. Um, we we had a good sense of how big the the dwarf planet was from, for example data taken by Hubble Space Telescope. New Horizons is really going to nail down um, uh, the size of Pluto, uh, its, its, its mass, um, and the sizes and masses of the other objects in the Pluto-Charon sort of moon system. Mm-hmm. It's, um, but it's also validating, it seems like, other techniques that have already been used. So, I mean, what's great about this is even though something may not be a major discovery, it's, it, it is validating others, other information and other methodologies. It's helping us put the whole picture together. That's great. What, talk, about, uh, talk about space you know, exploration in general. Why does it really matter anymore? I mean, a lot of, well, we've got to go see if there's life out there. But why would it matter to the average, let's just say, inner city kid that we keep pushing NASA out there? Well, listen, space exploration is our destiny. And all, although we don't necessarily see the implications in our day-to-day life, it's what we as humans are um, headed for um, in our future. And as we um, learn about nature, it's always important to learn about nature. We'll learn about uh, laws of physics and learn about the world we live in. It enriches all of us, Yeah, I, I, I believe. No, and Totally. This scientific progress is um, really at the heart of what humans do, and we've we continue um, pushing forward even in in dark times. You know, people keep coming up with new ideas and new discoveries and innovations. When did uh, you always... fall in love with all of this? Um, I mean, I'm assuming a bunch of kids are hearing this. My my sons love to go on YouTube and learn about uh, what's going on, you know, with in the solar system and with the. Just, just there's so many great videos on there. When did you fall in love with it? Oh, I've I've um, been in in love with physics and astronomy as a, as a kid too. I didn't have the the YouTube. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but what a great thing for these young kids. It really is. It's really amazing. There's some some beautiful stuff. The science is fantastic from a mission like New Horizons, but the imagery is also just gorgeous. It's mm. great. Is that? Do you guys just sit? Do a bunch of astrophysicists just sit in a room and just look and talk and just in awe? This must have been like a Super Bowl for you guys. Yes, it was. That's right. How cool! Kick back and and check out that that haze. Yeah, um, you're like, look at the haze over there. Yeah, the 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 image, being able to see Pluto from the other side of the sun. Is yeah. Awesome. Is it really? <laughs> Man, what do your loved ones think? 
I mean, Bandu, they're like, oh, come on, Dad. You're a jerk. Um, Relax. All right. Well, I mean, the people around you, do they relate? I hope so. Because I, 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 I bet you so. make it exciting. Um, you know, if we follow our passions and express our passions. I, I hope it's infectious. Yeah. I mean, it is. It's, and then you've got, uh, you know, the great founder of um, – of uh, Pluto, the dwarf planet, he gets this really cool opportunity to have his ashes fly out to space forever. Is that not every physicist's ultimate dream? Yeah, that is really amazing. You know, he's part of the broader universe. Right. Like, it's, it's really cool. Riding a nuclear-charged <laughs> probe to eternity. That's yeah, pretty cool. That, that's right. And, you know, he uh, in his lifetime, he... Uh, may not have thought this possible. And mm. that's all the more reason why we need to push on and and uh, take the opportunity as a society to keep up with our pure space exploration endeavors. That's cool. So what's uh, what's next, do you think? What, what do we, what's the next interesting thing that we're going to be doing? What has NASA already launched five years ago that we're going to be amazed by in 10 years? You know, I, I think that um, what people are looking forward to next are uh, uh, missions like the uh, James Webb Space Telescope, uh, sort of the, the follow-on to Hubble Space Telescope, mm. really opening up our universe um, now with an eye toward uh, planets um, as, as well as very, very distant galaxies. Wow. So I think what we'll see in the next a decade or so is a is a, a new, deeper understanding of our universe at large, and a, a blossoming of our understanding of planets and how planets form, and pushing toward the really big question: uh, Do we have company elsewhere in the universe? That's cool. Hey, now, now, will you promise me, Ben? If you figure that out, will you call me first? Uh, oh, I'll give you a call. Okay. I mean, you can tell family, friends, whatever. Tell people at the U, but I need you to give me a call. Okay, you got it. We'll get it out there. Dr. Ben Bromley, we appreciate you from the University of Utah uh, Physics and Astronomy Department there. Keep up the great work. Listen, thank you very much. Thank you. And truly, I mean, isn't it great that we have people with so many talents and skills to go figure this out? This isn't going to end, folks. Thank heavens, right? Let's just keep learning and uh, bring that learning home. So, And your kids out there, if you've got kids that have any interest in science, push that. Push that. We need we need more Ben Bromleys out there. We'll take a break, my friends. When we come back, one of my favorite segments, Seeing the Good in the World. Kathy Aiken's going to help us go uh, meet a, a, a really powerful story of good. They're out there, folks. You just got to look for them. We'll be right back. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. One of my favorite segments is this uh, one we do about seeing the good in the world. Kathy Aiken goes out, finds a good story, takes us in-depth to see how easy it is to change lives. That's right, Matt. You know, I think all of us have been teased or bullied at yeah. some point while we were growing up, or at least know someone who's been bullied. Well, we found a Utah doctor who wants to stop teasing and bullying for children, especially with large ears. 
Dr. Stephen Mobley remembers the day well, the day a boy came into his office seeking help after being bullied at school. I had a nice patient come in as a young, young boy. He might have been around 9 to 10 years old at that time. Had really big ears, had all the classic story of being picked on in school, being called bat ears and elf ears and those types of things. And then we got to the end of the consultation and we gave them the, the quote for the, what it would cost. And it's not covered by most insurance companies in, in this day and age. You know, his parents just sadly couldn't afford it, so he left the office, obviously disappointed, and it just sort of broke my heart. After that meeting, the Utah plastic surgeon knew he had to do something to help. He himself had large ears and secretly had cosmetic ear pinning when he was in college. You know, if you had a funny haircut, maybe you could find a new haircut style. If you were a little skinny, maybe you could work out a little more. If you were a little heavy, maybe you could eat a little bit better. I mean, there's some things about your physical appearance that you, that you have a little more control over. But having had it myself, I promise you that when you have ears that just stick out pretty darn far compared to normal averages, there's nothing you can do about it. There's, there's nothing in your control to modify that except for cosmetic ear pinning. So the Mobley Foundation was born. The goal of our foundation is to combat adolescent bullying and teasing, but most specifically just because the area of expertise where I, you know, the space that I exist in is the facial plastic surgery space. And so we like to focus on adolescents that are being bullied or teased because of having sort of larger than average, large protruding ears. And so in the bigger picture of life, where you look to give back and make a difference in your own community, it was that sense that I could do something larger and grander to help kids maybe get just a little bit of peace in their life. A part of their life, it could be causing a lot of heartache, which is the bullying, teasing, of having those large ears. Mobley said the costs of cosmetic ear pinning can be prohibitive for some, with a cost ranging from just under $3,000 to $6,000. While the foundation covers the cost for some, he cautions the surgery is not for everyone. This is not a foundation to provide free cosmetic ear pinning. That's not what it is. It's a foundation to help combat bullying and teasing which is secondary to having large, larger than normal protruding ears. I mean, so there's a, that may sound a little nuanced, but it's, a, it's an important distinction. We're not, we're not just out here, you know, doing a free cosmetic operation. We're, we're using our funds, we're using our time and our energy to help combat bullying and teasing first and foremost. A woman from Utah said her 15-year-old son was so upset about his ears, he used super glue to pull them back. She said the ear pinning surgery changed his life. He was so happy, <laughs> and he's been happy ever since. Dr. Mobley would love to get other surgeons involved to help as many victims of bullying as possible. The foundation is currently assessing a half dozen applications and are accepting more from across the country. You know, radio interviews such as this one always get the word out, and I hope that if someone's listening right now and, and there's no interest in this to them, but they know someone at their church or their community and they want to reach out to them and, and just let, us, let people know that we exist. And if you just you know, Google Mobley Foundation, It'll come up and people can learn about the, the pro bono work we're doing for the best of our children. Isn't that great? That's Dr. Amazing. Stephen Mobley giving of his time and and, uh, and his talents to help people with something he had himself. Yeah. You know, I think it's much easier when you can relate to it and relate how painful that is. And so, you know, none of the people wanted to talk, you know, because obviously they don't want their yeah. name out of, yeah, I was one They've of those. They've already been bullied. They've all, but, yeah. already been bullied enough. So, yeah, grateful for his work. And he really is honestly and sincerely hoping people hear this and will apply and will get the surgery to help them. Well, imagine you're bullied for something you can't do anything about. Right. 
I mean, it's and I think like we all horrible. know someone we grew yeah. up with that had bigger ears, and they were. You know, yeah. there's like Dumbo. I mean, they just the cruel words, and it really affects their self confidence terribly. And ama- amazing, a doctor who made it through it, but yet yep. still in school. Had his corrected. Exactly. It's uh, Again, he's doing what he can where he can. He's a surgeon. This is where he'd work. If right. he was a contractor, he'd probably raise money and yeah. so build a home pay for, for somebody these charities. Or something. Yeah. yeah. It was interesting. He said that he had kind of longer hair to cover his ears, but then the Top Gun movie came out and oh, Tom Cruise yeah. had the Tom Cruise haircut. You remember that? He said everybody was getting the Tom Cruise haircut, and he really wanted that. So his father was a surgeon and so hooked him up with someone who did that kind of a surgery, and he says the best thing he ever did. Oh, yeah. So, you know, it does. It changes lives. Yeah. And so to see someone who'll do that for free and really help people in need is just so heartwarming. And we also we're, – we're so critical sometimes of people that get plastic surgery mm-hmm. because we think it's like, ugh, it's so vain. Mm-hmm. But when you're being bullied or when you just don't feel good about your body and it's something that can be corrected. And can help you. And it doesn't yes. mean you can't still go work on your own self-worth and mm-hmm. self-esteem. You mm-hmm. can do both. Right. But, I mean sometimes getting your ears, you know – fixed or helped or I mean it's it it gets done. Then it's done. Right. He, it's interesting. He said he had a, a patient come in who they protruded a little bit, not too much. And he could tell that really the underlying issue wasn't because he was being bullied. And that's what he yeah. wants to make sure everyone understands. Yeah. This is only particularly if you're getting seriously yeah. bullied and teased right. that he wants to look at your application and try to help you. And it's interesting, too, because even the boys might be bullied different than the girls. A yes, girl with I think big so. ears. Mm-hmm. And, and she might be able to and hide it with hair. With weight, too. Yeah, and weight's weight. a biggie. Yeah. Oh, that's a big deal. It's good, yeah. it's good to see. People working where they can. Yep. Kathy, great job to help us see the good in the world. And uh, really, Dr. Mobley, thank you so for doing what you can. Everybody out there, whether you're do- whatever you do, whatever you do, you can use your circle of influence to change lives. That's one of the goals of the show, making the world better uh, one person at a time. We've all got to do it. Step up our way. We'll take a break, my friends. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Back next hour, more ideas, more tools. In fact, next hour, we'll be talking about sharing and the power of social media to create uh, some pretty cool results in our lives. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. Another hour. Tools, ideas, everything you need to make it through this crazy thing called life. Today, uh, no exception. Interesting, interesting news. Many of you are popping popcorn, getting ready for the big debate tonight. Some of you are like, why? I'm going to go watch Jon Stewart's last show. Either way, have fun. Do what you got to do. And while you're doing that, happy fresh breath day. Mmm, happy fresh breath. This Today's show brought to you by Fresh Breath. <laughs> Grab a mint, pop it in, make your neighbors happy. It's, uh, it's It was either going to be Fresh Breath Day or it's also Root Beer Float Day. But Root Beer Float Day, uh, you know, it doesn't give back. And share with everybody as much as fresh breath does. I don't agree with that. Ben likes root beer float day. Okay, I'll take that vote down. One vote for Ben. 
What would you go with, Kathy, uh, if we had to choose between Fresh Breath Day or Root Beer Float Day? Root Beer Float Day, yeah. Apparently we have Bob, no, some you, you have gluttons. Root Beer Float, you can get um, kind of that sugary breath, so you better uh, be careful. Yeah, which, you know, be that careful. That could cause a problem. It could, yeah, you could be mistaken for a diabetic. <laughs> That's true. you got to watch out for that, <laughs> especially when the paramedics come. Um, so, yeah, so far, pretty much three votes for Root Beer Float Day. Maybe we just ought to ban Fresh Breath Day. Is the third vote yours? or? Yeah, it is now. Okay. Yeah. Except I don't like root beer floats. Don't you? Yeah. Oh, that's all American. It is all American. Okay, now I do. I'm good. <laughs> hey, uh, we've got a really great because, – because of the debate coming up, I wanted to, to do what I could to help those that are going to be in the debate tonight. And we found something that ABC News put out. Uh, it's past debate mistakes. So sit back and enjoy a few minutes of the mistakes past debaters have have had problems with, and let's see if we can't avoid some of them. Nice to meet you. Hey, can I call you Joe? Who am I? Why am I here? You're simply it, was, wrong. it was true then. No, no. <laughs> it's true now. Rick, I'll, I'll tell you what. <laughs> 10000 bucks. $10,000 bet? I'm not in the betting business, oh, but I'll, okay. I'll okay. show you this. I, I I'll, the, I'll show I you the book. There is no Soviet domination of Eastern Europe, and there never will be under a Ford administration. It took the president 14 days before he called the attack in Benghazi. An act of terror. Get the transcript. It, 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 he did, in, in fact, sir. So let me let me call it an act Can of terror. Can you say that a little louder, Candy? He, he, he did call it an act of terror. It's three agencies of government when I get there that are gone. Commerce, education, and the, um, uh, what's the third one there? Let's see. <laughs> I would do away with the education, uh, the uh, commerce. I, I, commerce, and let's see. I can't. The third one, I can't. Sorry. <laughs> Oops. But are hesitating on the likability issue, where they seem to like Barack Obama more. I don't think I'm that bad. Um, uh, you're likable no. enough. Thank Hillary you so much. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. I'm looking forward to finding your facts on that because that just doesn't... I'll tell you what the facts just, are. Rick, again. You had Rick, the work. I'm speaking. I'm speaking. I'm speaking. I have as much experience in the Congress as Jack Kennedy did when he sought the presidency. I served with Jack Kennedy. I knew Jack Kennedy. Jack Kennedy was a friend of mine. Senator, you're no Jack Kennedy. That was really uncalled for, Senator. you recognize all of them? Every one of them. <laughs> Isn't that sad? That's how old I am. But, uh, Senator, you are no Jack Kennedy. That was a zinger, man. So was Perry's. But did you hear Perry was a pit bull? He is going to eat up Romney. this first. So he's in the, uh, I don't know what we're calling him, the junior league. He's in the, the early show. He's uh, he's going to be one of the seven debaters, mm-hmm. but he's going to He's going to shine tonight, I think. You think? He'll choose somebody up. I really hopefully do. he knows what he's talking about. That, yeah. that third sc- one, he can't uh, quite figure out. Ah. So one of the rules is just remember, if you're going to enumerate. Mm-hmm. Know what you're going to say. Yeah, it's better to just say, I'm just going to close a few of these. Let me just talk about those. 
Then he could have just forgotten the third one. I'll well, just be glad when it's over, actually. To this day, I don't even know what the third one is. <laughs> Sad. But uh, you got to be careful and you got to set yourself up. You got to know what you're saying. Anyway, interesting stuff. So go watch that tonight. Uh, tomorrow we'll be talking about it as well. Just, you know, fun, fun stuff, interesting stuff. But let's go to the headlines. Find out what else is going on. Kathy Aiken, what's up? Well, mass speaking of politics, nine GOP presidential contenders will try and take the spotlight away from frontrunner Donald Trump in tonight's first primetime debate. Trump says while his competitors are used to debating, he just plans on being himself and says there are plenty of issues facing the country. I mean, our country is in trouble. Politicians have driven us into the into the ground. They don't know what they're doing. They're certainly good at getting elected, and after they get elected, they don't do anything. I say they're all talk and no action, and it's time that we do something about it. We want to make America great again. The first debate begins at 5 p.m. Eastern time on Fox News and will showcase the seven candidates with the lowest poll numbers. A 29-year-old man with a history of mental illness attacked a group of moviegoers in Tennessee yesterday. The man was wearing a surgical mask and used pepper spray before attacking a family with a hatchet. Here's Nashville police spokesman Don Aaron. The gunman opened fire on the South Precinct officer. That officer returned his fire and then backed away out of the theater. Ultimately, the suspect came out of the back door of the theater. He was shot, fatally wounded, and has been pronounced deceased here at the scene. The suspect only had a pellet gun. A four Planned Parenthood clinics in Florida have been cited for several violations, including one for keeping improper logs for disposal of fetal remains. The state's Agency for Healthcare Administration also said the clinics performed two trimester abortions without a required license. Florida Governor Rick Scott ordered a state investigation after the release of graphic undercover video showing officials discussing the sale of fetal tissue to researchers. Eleven states have begun investigating Planned Parenthood since the release of those videos. Planned Parenthood denies any wrongdoing. There's some confusion coming out of Paris today over the airplane wing part found on an island in the Indian Ocean. Malaysia's prime minister announced his announced this morning that the piece did belong to the missing Flight 370, while other officials said only there's a strong possibility. Some of the victims' families are angry that the announcement was made before everyone came to the same conclusion. A 38-year-old woman was able to talk her way past a security guard at an Illinois airport yesterday when she entered a cockpit of a private plane. She was eventually caught and taken to a hospital for a psychiatric observation. Officials hope the security breach will prompt more rigorous oversight at the airport. Bill Cosby has been ordered to give a sworn de- deposition in the lawsuit that alleges he sexually abused Judith Huth in 1974 when she was just 15 years old. Cosby will answer questions from Huth's attorney on October 9th. Huth will also be questioned by Cosby's attorney. That will take place a week later. She's just one of several women who have accused the entertainer of sexual assault. And Matt, here's a case where you should probably get your information Mm -hmm. correct before proceeding. What? Nearly a dozen bounty hunters swarmed a home in Phoenix this week looking for a man wanted in Oklahoma on drug charges. Instead, they found Joseph Yoner the police chief. The bounty hunters were apparently acting on a bad tip posted on their Facebook page. The owner of one of the bounty hunter teams was arrested for criminal trespassing and disorderly conduct. Oh, so, you man. know, you open the door, wake his, he and his wife up, and ends up being the police chief. Freeze, dirtbag. <laughs> Get down. It's uh, chief good. bag to you, dirtbag to you. Isn't that crazy? Was there a camera crew in tow? I'm sure there was. Was it's it Dog, be part the of bounty reality. hunter? No, I didn't say that. didn't say it was him. Oh, my heavens. Wouldn't that yeah. have been great? Because, you know, in Dog the Bounty Hunter, they always take the guy in the back seat, uh-huh. let him have a smoke. And then Dog, like, <laughs> talks to him about God. 
and helps him find his way back. And this, the whole time the police chief's like, oh, you're going to oh, get it. Oh, you're dead. When my boys show up, <laughs> we are tasing you. yes. Holy cow. That is a wrong big mistake. Wrong place, wrong Boy. time. Yeah, mental note for all of you bounty hunters. If you are about to go, you know, break down a door and rip somebody out of bed, you better make sure it's not the police chief. You are in a world of hurt if you ah, make that mistake. Oh, that's so sad. I guess it's better than a mistake a surgeon could make. Right, Ben? I mean, it's like, I mean, Ben makes mistakes. We all make mistakes, but Ben's mistakes don't kill people or get you beat up or tased. Luckily, yeah. Yet. Yeah. We'll see how the rest of the show goes. Let's not let's not jump to conclusions. Hey, we got a great uh, guest coming up. Brian Kramer's joining us. He is the uh, CEO of Pure Matter, is a social media strategist and also the author of a of a book called Shareology: How Sharing Powers the Human Economy. It's it's a really interesting concept when you think about what's going on with social media, when you think about what's going on with how much information we are all going through every single day. The idea that we're sharing so much really is our sense of connecting today. I mean, how many times do you go a day without really a rich, deep conversation? Instead, you know, you've texted 50 people and, you know, forwarded on so many or retweeted so many great thoughts. Shareology, the ability, the power to share and to connect with other humans. That's what we're talking about After the break with Brian Kramer. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you find the good in the world. Welcome back, friends. To the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, uh, did you know that every day, you know, we're receiving more and more information, more and more just pieces of data, whether it's from blogs, you know, or traditional websites, traditional news outlets. But it ends up being that, uh, that, and with social media too, by the way, think of that, how many times people are forwarding on other articles you've already read, you've already seen. But it's basically the typical social media user processes over 285 pieces of content each day. Okay, that breaks down to about 54,000 words, 443 minutes of video, and 1,000 clickable links. That's going on every single day. Isn't that crazy? That is a ton of information, and it's information that a lot of times uh, we we didn't even go searching for, right? So nowadays in your social media, this information comes searching for you, and the next thing you know, you're you know just looking through your Facebook page, and all of a sudden you've got this really good clip, and you watch the clip, and you watch the next clip, and it's so interesting that every night at my house, because I have a bunch of teens, and they're really adept in the social, uh, you know, media world, and we we end up watching two or three, four videos a night and just laugh together. Last night we were just laughing together, and it creates an opportunity for us to connect. It creates an opportunity for us to actually, you know, relate. Except that's not always the case, is it? When we get into our our media and our social media, 
we we sometimes just don't get to have the relationships that uh, we might normally or we might we might have had when we were pre tech so when you think about your life and your relationships when you think about the impact that social media is having on you where where are you is is facebook your friend or is facebook now your your arch enemy do you are you glad you've got it or do you see it uh, as something that is stealing away your wife or somebody you care about i uh, had a client come in just recently that sat down and I just said, great. So what's going on? What's uh, what's going on in your marriage? And and basically, the guy says, my wife's having an affair. My wife's having an affair, and I'm like, okay, uh, with someone we know, a family friend, with Facebook. She's having an affair with Facebook. She wakes up with Facebook. She goes to bed with Facebook. She goes to lunch with Facebook. She's with Facebook all day. Huh. Huge issue, right? So, um, boy, but so not a real affair, just an emotional affair with Facebook. Anyway, it's an interesting issue that's impacting us. More and more of this uh, means that we we're getting a lot of information, we're getting a lot of content, but uh, we may not quite understand how to share our content and information with each other. We may also not still know how to connect human to human. So, joining us to talk about all of this is. Uh, is our next guest, Brian Kramer. Brian is the CEO of Pure Matter. It's a social media company. He's a social media strategist, and he's the author of um, of the book Shareology. His first book, by the way, was called There Is No B2B or B2C. It's Human to Human. And um, so we welcome Brian Kramer with us today. Brian, welcome to the show. Thank you for you, having me. I appreciate it. You bet. It's so great to have you. Talk about... Um, your this whole new book you've written about shareology. What what does shareology mean? Yeah, it's um, it's it's uh, something that I, it's actually an extension to my first book that you just uh, mentioned. So, uh, human to human was really a, a book about um, how how we're we're taking back the simplicity, empathy, and imperfection in everything that we do, um, and become more human companies, less automated companies. Um, and this this book, Shareology, is really the extension of that. So it's kind of a little bit more in the trenches, and it's the art and science of sharing. But it's also the um, it's it's taking a look at how how sharing powers the human economy. Like so like really like social media sharing really is that what you're saying? Sh- sharing my just sharing Actually, my best ideas, my best. Hey, go to this restaurant. Go to this company. They're really good. Like referrals and things like that. It's not just that. It's also it's it is social, but it, it takes a look at the past, present, and future of sharing as as a society, and it looks at how um, sharing has evolved into what uh, people are referring to as the sharing economy. Hmm. Um, so, if you look at um, digital to physical world, things like Airbnb and Uber, yeah, um, uh, and and I mean that that whole industry has grown into a sixteen billion dollar industry, and it's going to grow even further. So as you look at all of that kind of stuff and think about how we create um, these shared experiences out of companies, out of moments, it's really, um, you know, it spans from both digital to physical world to the art and science of actual sharing. Yeah. 
I mean, I guess that's that's interesting. I I, I had a situation the other day. I I, di- I downloaded, I think, the new iTunes uh, music program. I don't know. I honestly don't know how it happened. Somehow it appeared, and the next thing I know, I could <laughs> I could actually see other people that were in my building. I could see their music files, and it was somehow we were all networked and we could share our music databases with each other. And I thought, what? But it dawned on me right then that we, we're in a new world, right, where I can actually buy music. My friends can buy music, and we can sit there and share our music together. Now, we couldn't. I couldn't take their music. They couldn't take my music. But now, all of a sudden, what if we just share music, which is, to some regard, what's happening, it seems like, with some of these new music apps or Instead of buying a bicycle, I could just share it with other people downtown by just kind of renting one for a little bit. Exactly. Is, is that the that, shareology? Is that uh, that's it, the new it economy? Is, it, it is, and and it helps us to um, get things done more efficiently and faster. Yeah. And it also helps us to um, uh, not have to own things. Hmm. Um, you know, we're we're in a we're in a we're in a cluttered environment in the last however many years where we would buy things and own them. And it's not necessary anymore. Now we can, we can, we can share things. We can literally um, borrow things. We, we don't have to own the music. We don't have to own CDs. We can, we can actually, um, you know, use things like Spotify and I can go on the Spotify and see what my friends are listening to and cut to the chase and listen to some really good music much faster. Yeah. To your point. So things are, are, are it, 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 it's become a place where, when, you know, we all trust our friends and our family. And that's actually a great point that you brought up about music because we want to we listen to our friends are listening to. And I actually outlined the different types of shares in the book. There's six different types of shares in the book. And, and, um, and we trust our friends. And when we see our friends listening or sharing or referring something, we trust them more than we trust the brand itself. Yeah. And so, um, so that right there, combined with the sharing economy, combined with how we buy things, makes it easier for us to trust what we're buying, which makes it a much, much different influence environment because now we want to, as a brand, hire influencers or, or, um, or, or um, get influencers to influence because we know that people are going to trust them even more. It, it really is because it, it's like we used to trust – you know, American bandstand to tell us what music to listen to or the top, you know, the top 100 um, with Ryan Seacrest or whatever show is on. We trust that. But now it's like I can actually trust my friends referrals and those can actually come to me through social media or through Spotify by seeing what my friends are doing. And we're, I guess it's all networks, too. We're creating networks even like in as we go and watch Netflix, how many times have I started doing or watching a series on Netflix because of what I've heard somebody, one of my friends say? It's power. It, um, one of the case studies that's in my book is um, Ben and Jerry's. I talked with uh, Jay Curley, the head of social for Ben and Jerry's, and he um, he wanted to express. Um, and help the community understand how community-driven Ben and Jerry's is. And, and to do that, they wanted to also tell the story of how Ben and Jerry's approaches their product process. 
And it's interesting because they actually are very local, believe it or not. They, um, they, they still use the same, um, you know, milk dairies and, mm. um, and, and uh, procurement process that they used long ago. They didn't switch as they grew. They're really um, dedicated to that. And so they went back to the milk dairies and they, they, um, they, they helped to create stories around the milk dairies and help them become successful businesses into themselves. So what they did is they asked um, the the um, they asked the communities um, to share pictures of what what they thought was euphoric, not necessarily just around ice cream, but what was euphoric in their lives. And people shared photos on Instagram about what was euphoric to them, and they shared with the hashtag um, uh, euphoric moments. Hmm. And they took those photos. And, um, and, and the photos came from local cities. They went back to those people and said, guess what? We're going to take your photo of what euphoria means to you, and we're going to post them up on billboards and advertisements in your own local community, and we're going to highlight you. Oh, wow. And, um, and so, so now they're taking a local community with local content and local influencers talking about them, getting their permission, of course, and then putting it up on base, uh big billboards and, and, and advertisements and local magazines and newspapers and stuff like that and showing what euphoria means to them, which then drove such a high interest around how Ben and Jerry's stays local. Yeah, yeah. Because um, that's exactly what they're trying to do. But they did it through influenced relationships of people that you trust in your own community. That's the power of influence. That is. And it's – and then – that's going to spread even more because now all the local outlets will pick it up. Everyone's going to get into it. They're all going to hear that she's from this part of town. And I mean, wow, what a, and it's listening. It's really a company now listening to their people in a way that we, we historically didn't think we had to, we would listen to our marketing department, not necessarily our, the, our customers. Interesting stuff. Let's take a break. We're speaking with Brian Kramer and Brian is the CEO of pure matter. If you go to his website, Brian He's teaching us about his new book, Shareology, and uh, we're going to get in deep on this when we come back. Shareology, how sharing powers the human economy. More on uh, this very interesting uh, new approach to living that we're all kind of pushed into right now. How do we benefit from it? We'll find out when we come back. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show. To the Matt Townsend Show. You know, if if you are a business owner, if you're not, you're just you just have a little hobby that you like to share with others. If you're trying to grow a business, if you're just a human being that likes to connect with others, this is the topic you need to be focusing on. Uh, the topic uh, is uh, from Brian Kramer, and he's the author of the book Shareology. How, sh- how sharing powers the human economy. And he's teaching us about this this new trend. The new movement is your ability to share. In fact, Uber is a pretty good example of, uh, you know, sharing a ride, basically. 
and it's taking off. It's creating its own economy. But uh, there's much, much more to this book, uh, Shareology. Do- or Brian Kramer's joining us, and he's he's uh, also written another book. The other book was about human to human, the the human to human versus the business to business world. And he's uh, Brian is also has a great TED talk out there that you got to go look for. And he was from the Huffington Post, one of the top 50 social CEOs on Twitter globally. He's a big, uh, big deal. Again, Brian Kraber, thanks for being back with us. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. You bet. Uh, In your book, you talk about uh, our brand, our personal brand. And uh, we kind of know what a brand is in relation to a business. But we can all have our own personal brand in, in in this world today, right? Oh, absolutely. Even more so now. Um, personal brands are, are more are easier uh, to, to um, build now than ever before because um, you've got social media to help support and spread the word about whatever it is that you're passionate about, whatever you want to influence or be a thought leader on. And, um, and I, you know, I, I, I talk about uh, personal brands and business brands in the same capacity in everything that I do. And actually, the book is written in that way. So everything that, um, that I talk about is, applies to both almost, almost equally. Hmm. Um, when you think about a personal brand or you think about a business brand, um, the, the thing that matters the most, the thing that people connect with the most is how human and how connectable you are. Can they identify with you? Can they, um, are you reachable? Um, and and um, the most important thing is, um, like I said before, are you human? And, and I define in the book what makes somebody the most human possible. I'll tell you actually right now, it's yeah. the three pillars that, um, that are really, really um, um, important. So first one's empathetic. So if you think about empathy, um, think about a brand that is really empathetic. Um, and if anything comes to mind, feel free to say it. But it, a lot of things that um, a lot of pe- a lot of people like to say that that um, Amazon is empathetic yeah. because they return your products without question. Um, simplistic is the next one. Uh, being simple, very hard to be simple as a brand and and as a person. We're very complex creatures. So being simple. Um, could apply to a company like Apple. Uh, you, you might be able to say they're all their products, um, and no matter who I ask, I think I can get, get them to tell me all their products are very simple. Right. The third one is imperfection. Imperfection is very um, important because most companies are imperfect. Most companies are going to screw up or do something that's not um, uh, something that, that everybody agrees with. And it's just going to happen. It's not anything that you can control. So here's the thing. You want to embrace all three. Hmm. Because when you embrace all three, then people want to um, people want to be near you. They want to buy your product because they know you are the most human possible. And that's um, – so that, that is what people are very um, interested in. Imperfect and, and embraces it. Simplistic and um, – and, and, and very empathetic. It's such an interesting idea because um, I, I have heard, and I've seen it myself, if I go on like to somebody's podcast and I listen to their podcast and I really like their podcast, if, if I 
it's one thing to have a really nice, clean site, but if it's if, it, if everything almost seems too perfect, I, I don't relate. But if I can see that they're just human, and as humans, they're making mistakes or they're saying things that are 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 nat or, or you know just natural kind of uh, issues or natural kind of uh, conversational norms. It's it's actually it brings me closer to them, and it didn't dawn on me that. You know, simplistic, I need it accessible, so it's got to be simplistic, but I also want it to be caring. I don't want to just go listen to somebody that's just a brute that's beating everybody up and that hates America or, you know, that I want somebody that I relate to, that I can get, that cares about people, that keeps it simple, but that is that can make an error. I mean, it's funny. I've never noticed that, but that's who I follow. So there you go. And, and we, I think we all as humans, we do that subconsciously. Yeah. Um, we don't think about the different things that it attracts us to other people. But, um, but it is what happens. And it also attracts us to brands. We like when brands screw up and embrace it. We don't like when brands screw up and don't embrace yeah, it. Yeah, avoid it. Yeah, and ignore we it. We like when right. brands – yeah, we don't like when they're – not simple when they're too complex or when they don't won't return our product to us uh or sorry give us a refund refund or do something around um you know something that that makes us upset yeah. so customer service in in, in, in an uh, empathetic situation so so all of these things play well together but here's the thing there isn't um there isn't a brand out there that adopts all three that i can come up with Right, and so I always I always encourage everyone to think about that because that's the goal. That's what we all want to head towards: is how do we adopt all three and become the most human brands possible, and the hum- most human personal brands possible? Back to your original question. It, it's really interesting because it is, and it's I guess it's the key to all of this. We are just a bunch of human beings, and um, so no matter who I'm relating to, whether it's the car dealer. Or it's somebody that whose blog I'm going to follow. If I don't sense that there's a human behind this situation, I'm not going to buy in. I'm not. I mean, I, I may need a car, but I'll go find another guy to sell me the car. It's it, it's a human. That, and I guess that's the end of all of this is in our social media work. It, just if I'm posting something just on my Facebook page, I need to make sure I'm posting it to a bunch of humans. I'm not just trying to sell something. Well, so now you're you're getting into more around shareology and the the, um, the the key to sharing and the reason that we share. And there's really just one reason. After the 250 interviews that I did with ling, uh, social linguists and anthropologists and psychologists and executives and some famous people and all of that combined boiled down to one thing, and that's why do we share. Why are we sharing? What are we put here to do? And there's really only one thing, and that's connection. Hmm. We all want to connect. We want to connect with one or more people. And like you said, I don't want to talk to a wall. So when you put something out there, it's because you want to connect with one or more people, right? Yeah. And so as you're getting people interested in what it is that you're talking about, now that's where the human economy takes over. That's where the humanness happens because that's where you want to have those conversations. That's where you want them to feel empathetic, and and that's where you need to take over 
simplicity and imperfection and really put into practice the things that I talk about in the book around the sharing formula. And, and listening, right? I mean, part of that then is you're not just there. I put it out there, but then when I get responses, I need to listen, kind of like Ben and Jerry's, listen to what, you know, they, what people were motivated by. If you don't listen, then what good right. was putting listening. it out there? Listening is the mother of all skills. And it's, 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 um, it is the first thing that I suggest that everybody do, does when they go to um, social media, especially. Now, I did an interesting experiment. I don't know if I actually put this in the book, but it's, it's, um, it was interesting to actually put in as a hashtag. I, I tracked the keywords uh, fail, hashtag fail, and hashtag um, thank you. Because I wanted to see who in the world was using those hashtags and what was the balance? Were they equal or not equal to, um, you know, the, the use of people appreciating versus not appreciating, hmm. basically? And it was interesting because it was like 86% of people out in the world were saying hashtag fail versus um, the other, the rest of the uh, population saying hashtag thank you, meaning not, not mer- very many appreciative people out there or yeah. not very many great customer service situations happening. The reason I bring that up is because that's a very simple way of listening. I mean, I just did that globally at a real thousand foot level. And imagine what you can do with, um, with listening like you're talking about as the mother of all skills going in and actually listening to what your customers are saying. Mm. Um, 86% of all brands are not listening online. That's too high. That's way too high. And, and you can have a competitive, you you can have a competitive advantage simply by listening, simply by going online and, and um, taking a look at what people are saying, whether it's around your brand, your competitors, product ideas, or just between each other um, and how you can actually uh, go into the conversation and take, take part. Yeah. There's all kinds of um, ways that you can do that that I walk through. That's You know what? That's so needed. It's so powerful. As we wrap this up, um, Brian, when you think of the kind of the future economy of sharing, what what would you say is really the one thing that we could be working on day in and day out to just kind of more naturally flow into that economy? If it's all moving into that kind of sharing economy, what should I be worrying about today to make sure I'm going to be viable and effective in that economy? You know, um, the biggest thing that um, we need to remember, actually, I'm going to answer that in uh, two parts. Yeah. One, one is, um, you know, it's, there, there, are, there are ways that we approach um, this. One, I, as I mentioned before, is human to human. There's also a human to machine, and there's also machine to machine, meaning um, computers to computers talking. There's also, like I said before, humans to machines where we're, like, going up to our, our, our debit um, uh, uh, card ATM machines, putting our debit cards in, and the computer takes over, that kind of stuff. So, um, so there are different ways that we will all be sharing in the future. The, the difference, the thing that matters the most, the one, the one um, difference between all of that is that humans have the ability to tell context. We are the only ones that can say what's funny. Hmm. We're the only ones that can say what's sad. We are the only ones that know joy and fear. The different emotions are the things that we are able to do that a computer will never be able to do. So what does that mean? That means that, to answer your question, we have to notice the shareable situations, the shareable experiences. 
not only notice them and share them, but also as brands, we can create them. We can create situations that become shareable moments in an authentic way that makes um, it interesting for people to want to share it. Disney does it all the time. Disney creates shareable experiences and moments that makes you almost like uh, the old Kodak moment uh, that you remember. Yeah, right. Totally. Sign out and they say, this is a Kodak moment. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. When we create these little Kodak moments in life as people or as the brands, it makes it more interesting to share. That's what brands need to be focused on. That's where you, know, you, can, you can even do that as a personal brand. Yeah. When you can capture that, just that emotion, that feeling, that joy, that's what we should be sharing. And then make that almost, that becomes then viral. Wouldn't that be powerful? Viral uh, Kodak moments. That's cool. Good stuff. Well, Brian, we appreciate you, my friend. Uh, great stuff. Uh, the book, again, is Shareology. And, um, uh, you know, you can get it, I'm sure, anywhere out there. But go to the website, briankramer.com. More tools, more ideas there to, uh, to help you understand how to share and how to, how to understand this future, this future economy. It's, it's actually pretty interesting. Um, it's happening, folks. It's going to happen whether you get it or not. You may as well figure out the power of being more influential with others. And one of the great ways to do that, obviously, is recognizing the, the good moments, the joy, the context of, of life, the, the passionate moments, the happy moments. Let's start sharing those. Even if that's your brand, share that. Interesting stuff. We'll take a break, my friends. Come back, continue this uh, discussion, do a little Coach's Corner. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Isn't it interesting that uh, you now have a brand? You have a brand. When you go get a brand new job, guess what they're going to do? They're going to go search your name. They're going to find everything they can about you. You may lose your job because of what you posted on Facebook or Twitter. You got a brand. And I love this idea that uh, we just learned about from Brian Kramer about the human-to-human idea. Right? I've always believed that when I go into a company, if they, you know, if I'm buying a hamburger somewhere and I'm mad at the store or the shop that is selling me the hamburger, it's really not the shop I'm mad at. I'm probably mad at a human being. There's going to be a human behind every complaint. There's going to be something that didn't happen right. The problem is I don't know that human's name usually, so I just call that human whatever, McDonald's. I call that human whatever company you work for. So it's a pretty interesting uh, idea where if I want to impact people, I've got to impact people heart to heart, eye to eye, human to human. Even if I'm doing a major like national rollout of, an ex- of a marketing plan for somebody, if I can't get on the human level with the person I'm pitching or if I can't get on the human level with the customers I'm serving, whatever your job, if you can't be human with me, um, and and somehow be you know em- empathic to me what I need, but also be simple, 
um, you're going to lose me. Flat out. You're you're just going to lose me. And, and that's why I think um, you can – it's not always the most talented people that become the best. Uh, there are, for example, there are a lot of really good performers and they're, you know, they're incredible. They're amazing. But in, in some regards, one of them might be not as amazing as others. One might on the stage might not be, you know, as flashy. I think of like an Ed Sheeran and Ed Sheeran gets on stage and he's a one man band and he gets in there and he's, but what he does is he kind of, he, he meets that criteria that Brian Kramer was just sharing with us. He's empathetic. So his songs are caring. He's a caring guy. He's simplistic and he's willing to be imperfect. He stands out there and does an entire concert on his own and just loops his own music and tells the story and puts together the story and then he does the song and he gets the he gets all the fans to buy in. Then you know, you might have somebody else, Taylor Swift or whatever comes in and she'll kill it with all of this, you know, a crew of 100 and whatever people. It's interesting, isn't it? But you look at uh you look at this new economy and Ed Sheeran can go out there and just do it by himself. He might have a, a touring team of 10 and Taylor Swift has a touring team of 100, 150, whatever the numbers are. Isn't that powerful? It's a day and age, folks, where you can go out and do a lot. You can just go make a song now on your MacBook and send it out and it can go viral and you can be huge. There are a lot of YouTubers that are making a ton of money. And so um, it's a different age, folks. So understanding that it is in the end human to human that we're trying to convince. And that might be a really good thing to remember every time you send out a new Facebook post. Is this is this a human thing that I'm doing? If I'm making fun of somebody, if I'm putting someone down, is that going to make me seem empathic? Is this a really complicated idea? Is this Is this something that that I really want to be known for. Anyway, it's interesting. I I, I like the idea of understanding that uh, no matter how we go through life, it's still a human project. No matter what, if you want to fall in love, it's still a human you're going to have to fall in love with. And you're going to have to be a human to fall, have someone fall in love with you. Anyway, interesting, interesting stuff. Uh, we got a great uh, show. One more hour coming up after this break. Uh, next hour... We, um, of course, we're going to be talking to the guys from BYU Sports Nation, our buddies there, find out how that's going. We're also going to be discussing with Tina Gilbertson how to complain so people will listen. You ever notice that uh, people just don't listen to you sometimes? She'll be giving us some tips on how to how to get some movement on what you need done. Interesting. Interesting look at life. We'll take a break, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Right here on BYU Radio. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1 855 Chat BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Man, we got a great show for you today. Today, we're going to be talking with Tina Gilbertson uh, about how to complain so people will listen. 
Now you're like, what? She wrote the book Constructive Wallowing. How to Beat Bad Feelings by Letting Yourself Have Them. And she's so she's going to kind of uh, help us reverse engineer, you know, if you're going to complain, if you're going to, like, make a fuss about something, you might want to do it in a, in a productive way that actually gets some results. And as a licensed professional counselor, she's going to give us some of her insights on that. We'll be talking to her in just a few minutes. But holy cow, did you hear the latest news about Trump? He's, he's been hacked. Oh, I didn't. I didn't see that. Trump following, according to Politico, uh, Trump's corporate website was hacked thanks to followers from John Stewart. Wow. Yeah. Uh, when Trump's corporate website was hacked, but they they basically it wasn't they weren't hacked to do damage. They went in because apparently they were followers of John Stewart, who's retiring today. And did he ask them to do that? Well, no, but basically they, they said in the hack, they said, we are writing you today to uh, via Mr. Trump's website because seemingly it's the only way to get anyone to pay attention. So we wanted to uh, crack uh, Trump's code, get into his system, and then everyone would pay attention. And we just wanted to thank you, Mr. Stewart, for oh being my. such a great <laughs> comedian as you retire. Oh, no. Well, that would be something. Another way to get Trump mad. Well, and another way to get arrested, I guess. So you're probably going to end up sitting in jail, but you'll have a great laugh at that one. (laughs) That'll go down in history as you're serving your time. Anyway, it's true. Everybody's chasing Trump today. Everybody. But, you know, come on. It's not Trump Day. That's a, that's a problem with these debates, and there's so many people. All they do is tear each other down. Right. So by the end of it all, it's like who survived this craziness, you know, of is, just bad words. And Is there something better and bigger than even Trump today? I'm yeah. Not politically, that's for sure. Root beer floats. That's it. Happy root beer float day. One of my favorite uh, not beverages. I, I'm not a big floater. Mm. Love a good root beer do float. Do you really? Don't have them often, but... Yeah. Love a good one. I don't know what it is, but right after I have one, I get all twitchy and shaky. It's probably all that sugar. <laughs> oh, that's, is that, that's very that normal. Could be it. Is that what it is? Is that why you like them, Ben? Oh yeah. You come. Maybe in. that's what I need to start taking in the morning to wake myself up. A root beer float. Yeah. You that's know what? what? You need. You're always tired. That's my Pop-tart. breakfast every morning. Root beer float. <laughs> wow. You that's have a pop tart every morning? No, but a pop tart oh. pretty much does the same thing as. Yeah, this. that's true. Probably um, just as much sugar. Yeah, and I think my problem is just sleep. Mm-hmm. Apparently got to sleep to feel good. Did you guys hear about the greasy mayonnaise uh, traffic jam? I missed that one. A section of motorway in France has been closed because it's been judged too dangerous. The reason, 20 tons of slippery mayonnaise that officials say is a recipe for disaster. Traffic in western France will remain clogged until at least Thursday after a lorry, a truck, transporting 20 tons of mayonnaise caught fire. Ooh. Oh. I love cooked mayo. Mm. A little cooked mayo on the road. Are you a mayo or Miracle Whip person? Miracle Whip. Yep. Because it has sugar in it. <laughs> I like. Kind of I like. Tang to it or something. Have you ever had a root beer Miracle Whip float? Never. Delicious. It sounds horrible. Yeah, it kind of does, doesn't it? <laughs> anyway, so watch out for that. What a mess that would be. It's just too bad you couldn't have, like you know, a hot dog truck crash with a bun truck and a mayo truck. And a ketchup truck. Oh, wouldn't that be a yeah, great accident? Yeah, ketchup. You don't want mayo on your hot dog anyway. No. Oh, 
Kind of depressing. Anyway, any other headlines you got for us today? Uh, we've got some a uh, few here, Matt. Let's go to them. A 29-year-old man with a history of mental illness attacked a group in a movie theater in Tennessee yesterday. The man was wearing a surgical mask and used pepper spray before attacking a family with a hatchet. One of the victims spoke about the suspect. The gunman opened fire on the South Precinct officer. That officer returned his fire and then backed away out of the theater. Ultimately, the suspect came out of the back door of the theater. He was shot, fatally wounded, and has been pronounced deceased here at the scene. The suspect was shot and killed by SWAT, a SWAT team when he tried to leave through the theater's back door. I don't want to attack anybody, and, uh, you know, maybe I'll be attacked and maybe not. I'd rather just discuss, uh, discuss the issues, but, you know, certainly I don't want to attack. If I'm attacked, I have to, you know, do something back, but I'd like it to be very, to be very civil. That was Donald Trump, who's preparing for tonight's GOP presidential debate in Ohio. Trump says he's hoping for a night with no conflict and no infighting. Trump and nine other Republicans will take the stage at 7 p.m. Eastern time on Fox News. The seven other GOP contenders will debate two hours earlier. On the Democratic side, a new survey finds that 40 percent of likely Democratic voters believe Joe Biden should run against Hillary Clinton for president. Clinton is still far ahead in the polls, but just 37 percent of voters say they trust her. Biden and is still deciding on whether or not to join the race. Four Planned Parenthood clinics in Florida have been cited for several violations, including one for keeping improper logs for disposal of fetal remains. The state's Agency for Healthcare Administration also said the clinics performed second trimester abortions without a required license. Florida Governor Rick Scott ordered a state investigation after the release of graphic undercover videos showing officials discussing the sale of fetal tissue to researchers. Eleven states have be- begun investigating Planned Parenthood since the release of the videos. Planned Parenthood denies any wrongdoing. A manhunt is underway for a gunman who killed a Louisiana police officer last night. The officer, whose name has not been released, responded to a report of a suspicious person threatening people inside a home when he was shot. A Shreveport spokesman said they believe they know who the suspect is and they're obtaining a warrant for his arrest. A federal appeals court in New Orleans yesterday struck down a voter ID law in Texas saying it discriminated against Hispanic and black voters. The Texas law, which was passed in 2011, requires voters to bring a government-issued photo ID to the polls. The Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals is sending the law to the court in Corpus Christi, which will decide if the law is discriminatory. And Matt, you've heard of women who go into the hospital and find out they're pregnant and had no idea they were pregnant. Oh, yeah, you know? that's, I don't get yeah. that. Well, doctors in Chile made an amazing discovery A 91-year-old woman went to the hospital for x-rays after she fell, and doctors found what they thought was a tumor in her abdomen. Oh, no. Happened to be a calcified fetus. Doctors decided not to operate, but just keep it where it is. Let it just go home with Grandma. (laughs) So about 60 years, she has had this in her abdomen. Isn't that weird? She's like, you know, it's the weirdest thing. I thought I was pregnant for, I don't know, three months. Four months, creepy. And I never, you know, yeah, I don't I get like, women who go in and uh, they they're having these pains and they go in yeah. and they're having a baby. Like, yeah, really, you didn't know you were pregnant. How do you not know that? Isn't that crazy? Like they're waddling, <laughs> they're always grabbing their back. They've 40, been to Lamont heavier. Six times. Yeah, yeah, I don't get it. But they don't know. Yeah, you know, I mean, I get it. If you're really, really heavy, you mm-hmm. might not know, but. How do you not know? They're, it's know. denial. It's denial. That could be. But, oh You're boy. hoping it's not real, The right? tragedy of that, what if that woman had never had any other kids? That was her yeah. baby. 
I don't know. It didn't say. The report didn't say. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. If you live long enough, you're going to see everything. On the show, we had a woman or somebody that their twin had been somehow absorbed by them as a child. You know, that happens in utero. And she absorbed her twin, and it, or he absorbed his twin. I can't remember. But it ended up being in his brain. Oh and my. he had basically a brain tumor. But his brain tumor was a brain – it was a brain twinner. Oh, my. That's bizarre. Twin. Did they remove yeah. it? I don't know. I don't think so. <laughs> He's like, I'll leave it. I'll leave, leave it. it. <laughs> leave it. Sometimes it helps yeah, it to have two him. people yeah. thinking about your problems. <laughs> that amazing? Oh, people are amazing. Another little human amazement. Wow. That moment brought to you by Kathy Aiken. Interesting stuff. Uh, we're going to take a break and think about this while you're uh, listening to the commercials. Do you ever notice that when people complain, that bugs you? And yet, have you also noticed that when you talk, no one listens? So are you supposed to complain to get what you want? Or how do you get people to listen? Wouldn't that be good to know? Well, when you come back, Tina Gilbertson's going to help us sort through when to complain, how to complain, and how to listen to people that are complaining. Interesting stuff. Stick with us, folks. That's why we're here, to give you the tools, the ideas, everything you need today to learn how to communicate. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back, right after this break. Welcome back, friends. You know, we all have those times where we feel like the entire world is against us. No matter how much we voice our concerns, it seems like no one can hear us. And yet, on the other hand, when we hear other people, our kids, our siblings, our spouses complain, suddenly we just want to reach out and touch someone. Uh, And not in a good way when you think about it, where we want to just tune out. So how do we learn to uh, communicate and, and get our needs met, get them across, you know, to people without having to complain maybe or if we're going to complain how do we share our feelings so it doesn't you know irritate people so it doesn't come out so much like a complaint that's what we wanted to talk to tina gilbertson she's a psychotherapist and is in practice in portland oregon she's the author of the book constructive wallowing how to beat bad feelings by letting yourself have them she's here today on the phones with us uh, to teach us how to complain so people will listen tina tina welcome to the matt townsend show Thank you, Matt. It's great to be here. Great to have you. And what an interesting topic, because it's true. When people complain, I don't listen. Yeah. And yet I want people to listen to me, so how do I complain without turning them off? Right. Well, yeah, complaining is sort of an unattractive thing. I think we are all kind of on the same page about that. Like, nobody likes a complainer. Right. We don't want to be a complainer. And it's just really hard, though, because sometimes we need to, we do need to speak up. Yeah. You know, about whether it's in a relationship or at work, we need to speak up about stuff. Um, the problem is that, you know, as, as, is, as with most kind of relational issues between us humans, things like emotions get in the way, and uh, we don't always handle those. We don't always know how to handle those in a way that um, is effective and uh, allows everybody to, to have their... Uh, their own feelings and and so on. So I think um, whether you're complaining at home or at work, there are a couple of um, elements to an effective 
complaint that doesn't yeah. turn people off. Well, and, and complaint, um, it, it is. It, it is not just even the word. It's like, okay, I want. Here's our complaint box. Yeah, right. So it's almost like we need a better word, huh? We have to invent a better word than complaint. Totally. Of course, you know, you can go the other way and say, I have something to share with you. Mm-hmm. you yeah, know, I hate you. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to let you know that your voice drives me crazy. Yeah, just to share. Um, <laughs> That's interesting. So what are what are some of the tools that we could use for the healthy complaint? Well, I think one of the most important things to do is to own the fact that you're complaining and mm. own the feelings that you're having that are bringing you to complain. So too often... The way we complain, and by the way, I am the worst. I am, I'm not an expert at doing this in my own life. It's kind of an open secret that we teach what we need to learn. Absolutely. So, you know, I love talking about this because I, and this is something that I work on myself. It's just too easy to point to someone else's behavior and say, that's not cool. So, and of course, that just creates defensiveness. Yeah. It is. But see, some people don't. Some people... They feel that's why I guess in a way complaining is healthy um, because if I don't do something with the feelings, if I just bury them and just go beat you up in my head, that's not going to help. But so I've got to just figure out how to share them with the person that needs to hear them. You're you're saying, but own the fact that this is a complaint. Here it comes. Yeah, and and by the way, if you do, if if we do bottle these things up because we don't know that we have a right to complain, right. Uh, then we then we end up with a whole bunch of resentment, and we get Mount Vesuvius yeah. that eventually explodes, and then it's really ugly. Mm-hmm. Well, that's then, so true. Yeah, then it's just yeah. And the real issue is, you know, these are feelings that I haven't been able to share. Right, and they've just built up and built up, and they have a real force behind them. Then, and then, then it's almost impossible to say. Even if you say the perfect words at that point, it's so loaded. You know, your emotions are just so there, and people can feel how, how intense an experience you're having. Mm, totally, so, so it's true. kind of heavy. But uh, so, you know, the way you own a complaint is by making I statements. You know, I don't like it when this happens, or um, um, this makes me uncomfortable, I don't appreciate it, rather than you're being rude, you're being thoughtless, you're insensitive. Yeah. Is it like, so I can give some context. So when we're in a meeting, and I'm talking to my boss, when we're in a meeting and you were bringing up this and this, it makes, I, I feel this and then I tell my feelings. I mean, because I, I kind of need to give them some context, right? For sure. And the, the little bit of what's different at work, between work and home, is at home or with friends, you know, within your personal relationships, you can have a reasonable expectation that that person has a vested interest in caring for your feelings. Sure, yeah. Taking actions to to protect your emotional bond. And at work, it's, you don't, you don't really, you can't really expect that to be a priority for your coworkers. I mean, within reason, you have to, you can expect people to treat you with dignity at work. But um, for you to say, I feel unloved when no one makes coffee in the break room, <laughs> you know, that's not, as appropriate yeah. as it as it might be at home. Yeah, you're probably going to be hazed if yeah, you do that. Exactly. Right. <laughs> They'll tie so, you up somewhere. Yeah. With a boss or with a coworker, you really just want to. And this is the second thing I would say besides own it is point to very specific behaviors or specific action. Make a specific actionable request 
so um, like you know when when you're yelling at me, it's hard for me to concentrate on what you're saying. Hmm. Rather than I feel hurt when you yell at me. Yeah, or what we might normally do is just go in there and say you're rude. Yeah, right. And then the person can argue with you. No, oh, I'm not. No, I'm not. Nine out of ten people think I'm wonderful. That's I know. Right. So that's and why you have to get specific, huh? But if you if you take ownership and you make I statements, people can't really debate as easily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they can't. They can't say your feelings are dumb. I mean, they can. Well, they can. But yeah, they can. But <laughs> yeah, they it, can. it's still your feelings. It's you're just. But if you're specific to a situation, I'm not saying I'm not throwing out this statement that you're just a bad person. I'm saying when you yell at me in those meetings, I feel attacked. I feel hurt. Yeah, and and if there's a you know if it's if it's elevated to the level of like harassment where it's totally uncool for the person to be doing that, I think it's reasonable to ask them not to. You know, please don't do that. Yeah. Uh, please don't make comments about my body. I don't like that. That's great. And that yeah. really is. I mean, because you have that right. Absolutely. And especially in that business setting. And you, I mean, and, and we also need in our personal lives those boundaries set, right? So For sure. I need you to, I, please don't do that. I won't, I can't tolerate that. Yeah. And how, how often do you hear somebody say something like that? Like never, right? Yeah, it's right. It's weird, it feels weird to and it also feels weird to hear somebody speak that nakedly about this is my need. Mm-hmm. This is what you did. I don't like it. Please don't do it. That simple. That's and you're what's cool about it is um, if you kind of dissect it like we're doing, it's not you're not trying to be abrasive. You're not trying to cause a fight. You're giving feedback. You're you're, you're basically saying this specific situation creates this feeling for me, mm-hmm. and then here's my request. Yeah, and you want the request, why? Like, why do you want it like a specific request? Um, so the person knows what to do. There's no point in complaining if there's if there's not an actionable request. What are they supposed to do? Okay, yeah. um, you know, if, if there isn't a specific request, then you can say, you know, I just need to vent about something. Mm-hmm. But if what you're venting about is you don't like their personality, then you're kind of at a stalemate. Yeah. Well, many times in marriage you hear people saying, well, so what do you want me to do? It's like they don't. I don't know. I don't know what you want me to do. You're just complaining. You're here to just complain. Yeah, actually, I just wanted to vent. Well, well, actually, you know what? I think the answer to that question. So, what do you want me to do? Especially mm-hmm. in a married couple, is often, and I'm in my mind, it goes right to that's the man talking. Mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah. Fix, I want to fix this. I want to get this yeah, done. Yeah, I, just let's, tell me what to do. I'll do it. Mm-hmm. If he wants to smooth things over, and maybe the woman doesn't even realize that what she wants is just for him to acknowledge that feeling, yeah. to know how she feels and to care that she feels that way. Interesting. See, and we'd rather, I guess it kind of goes to maybe the way that we tend to, the man might more traditionally communicate is, we're not going to communicate about wanting to be validated in my feelings per se, but mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you when I need something done, and I just kind of need you to do it. <laughs> just and do you know it. What? There's, there's some value in that for women in particular because we are maybe a little, some of us are a little too likely to say, you know, other people's husbands help with the dishes <laughs> exactly. instead of yeah. making a request. Yeah. Well, but if you love me, you just do dishes naturally. Oh, yeah. you, would, you would realize how hard I work and you would want to help. That's right. And if I have to ask you, then it doesn't count. Isn't that interesting? 
But if I mean, really, everybody's got, well, if, if you love me, we'd touch more. Well, I would touch if you do the dishes. Well, I'd do the right. dishes if you touched. You oh, first. Yeah, right. No, you first. <laughs> yeah. And then we just sit there and look at each other. This Mad. is why I don't do couples counseling anymore. I know. You got tired of it, didn't you? Well, it's just somebody's got to give first. Yeah. And when you've got two people who are who are who have needs, it's like meet my need. No, you meet my need first. Well, I'll meet your need when you meet. Oh. I can't even. It's like a tongue twister. It is. It's like a bunch of twelve or not even twelve year olds. It's like a bunch of five year olds fighting over who pushed whose Legos over. I do think we uh, revert to childhood a lot around these issues of, of times when we need to complain. I think we feel powerless. A lot of us feel like maybe we're not allowed to complain. Yeah. Or, or, and we don't know how to do it effectively. So by, by being able, and so far you've taught us, if we, if we want to complain so people will, will be more able to hear uh, or listen to it, we would basically go in, maybe ask for our time. Can I just talk to you about something? Exactly. Well done, yeah. And then, and then, you know, you know, kind of give the context. In our meeting today, yep. you brought up this and this, and then use I statements. And I and and I made me feel this. I felt pressure. I felt whatever. I felt embarrassed. I felt humiliated. Mm-hmm. And then own your feelings. I know they're mine. I mean, I know you, that probably wasn't your intention. And I'd like you in the future that you don't call me out like that. Right. Yeah. And depending on the work setting, you may not want to get too specific about about your feelings. That's true, huh? Yeah. It, it may be enough at work to say, that makes me uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. That's I great. I am comfortable with that. And, and, and your boss wants to know. Yeah, I hope. Well, we'll see, won't we? How, yeah, based we on how they respond. Uh, this is great stuff. Again, uh, it's something we all need. We're talking with Tina Gilbertson, and um, she's helping us understand how to complain so people will listen. And when we come back, we'll get in maybe to the other side of this, how we listen to make sure that somebody knows we're hearing the complaint um, and understanding it. How do we validate other human beings? It's really basics, right, to life. Uh, But more with Tina Gilbertson, author of the book Constructive Wallowing, How to Beat Bad Feelings by Letting Yourself Have Them. Stick with us, folks. We'll be right back. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, we're talking with Tina Gilbertson on um, kind of the art. It really is an art of how to complain so that people will listen and maybe how to listen when people are complaining. This The art of validating another person. And uh, she's here on the phone with us, actually, to um, to talk about this really difficult skill, which maybe shouldn't be so difficult. Tina, welcome back to the show. Thank you so, ma- so much, Matt. I, I'm really glad that you want to talk about the other side yeah uh, validating the person when they're complaining um, what a great way to just kind of raise the emotional uh, intelligence quotient of our society yeah. to kind of help each other out with this because because if you're complaining I can help I can heal I can heal this but it's not it's just by listening really and hearing you yeah and and the trick is to hear the emotional need behind what they're saying yeah it really is, because underlying all the emotion, there's a pain, mm-hmm. and the pain needs to be at least dealt with. I call the emotion the vital signs. You see signs of pain, right. and we use those signs to get down to the deeper issue. Yeah, exactly. 
That's cool. And it can be tough what to, to if, if you're not used to looking for those needs, because people, it's easy to get caught up in the content. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, I, I did not say that in the meeting. I said this, and now right. we're arguing about the content instead of my emotion here, the issue. Is the most common response to a complaint is, no, it wasn't. No, I didn't. No, mm. that's not how it was. And mo- it's, then we get caught up in this thing that no one can can win, and then the emotional need is sitting there going, hello? <laughs> what about me? Hello? What about me? Yeah. So um, let's just look at an example of something that might be a complaint. I was just talking to somebody about this the other day. Um, she was talking about a relative who's, she said, is really negative, is always down on. And I said, well, what kind of what kind of complaints are we talking about? What? Give me an example. And it was, she will say things like, oh, these two friends of mine are so... Um, passive aggressive you know mm-hmm. they never they never they never let they're so they never let me in on anything and so she's complaining about the behavior of these two friends and it really had a big strong theme to me of she feels left out yeah she's mad at them for for helping her feel left out so the the response to that and and the reason we were talking about this um is that uh, the person I was talking to didn't want to absorb all that negativity. Right. Felt really weighed down by it and just wanted her to shut up because she couldn't take all the complaining. Um, and you said earlier about, a, you mentioned the word boundary. Yeah, some, yeah, so I, I, yeah a boundary or like a rule, yeah. Yeah, and that, this can be really helpful to the person who's complaining is, and help you at the same time. You can actually draw a boundary by holding up a mirror to them. Yeah. So what I mean by that is like, Let's say she's complaining about these two friends who never let her in on anything. It's really simple. You just say, it sounds like you feel kind of left out. Which is just holding, it's like the mirror. You're just holding up what you hear her saying. Right. And so you, you don't need to take it all in. You don't need to absorb all of it and be angry about it. You just kind of reflect back what you hear her saying. Right. And, that, and you may just feel like she's frustrated with that response because what she wants is to unload her feelings onto you she doesn't know what to do with them right right that's huge when you you don't let her unload her feelings onto you you're helping you both at the same time you're preserving your boundary you know that's not mine that's not my my pain Mm -hmm. you're also holding up that mirror and saying well here's what it sounds like you feel and people who are really out of touch with their feelings may be like what i don't even get it what do you mean no i don't feel left out what are you talking about that's true but that doesn't mean that you're not right. Right. And then what, what's interesting is if you can hold your space there and not attack but and understand it and search it and try to underst- and try to get to the deeper need, yeah. then they can trust you. And you're also going to eliminate some of the emotion. Right. And, and uh, yes, and another step you can take after you've said, well, it sounds like you feel really left out, is to offer that validation of that sounds awful. Mm-hmm. That sounds painful. No wonder you're upset. Yeah, instead of trying to fix it or yeah, argue. That. So if I bring up my ideas, my issues, my points, I'm just going to further the fight. You're kind of every one of the things you're teaching us is to get into them. Just stay I with them. Stuff. It's their stuff. But of course, that's hard if they're complaining about you. you. Yeah, absolutely. Or your mother. It's yeah. even harder. Right. <laughs> that's why mom yeah. always gets thrown in there, huh? Yeah. But it really is. I mean, it's that's isn't it really the most basic human need, Tina? Is just to have somebody care enough to want to understand. Oh man, I I second that so strongly. Yeah.
yeah, I think it is a very basic human need to, uh, for just compassion and understanding. Mm. We just need another. I think that that's the the secret to um, therapy. Yeah. Ultimately, just very essentially, to be seen and witnessed by a compassionate other human being who accepts you for whatever is going on with you in that moment. I think that's the biggest part of healing. Yeah. You know, people talk about talk therapy and they say, well, is it really therapeutic just to talk and hear yourself talk and talk about your feelings? No, it's not the talk that helps. That's why you can talk all day about uh-huh. how you feel and not feel better. It is how that's received. And have to have, Yeah, and having somebody accept you as just what you are. Yeah. No judgment. huge. Yeah, that's huge. That is huge. We're, we're all so busy. We, it's hard for us to remember to do that for others. Yeah, and that's the healing. That's the healing. So, so if somebody's bringing you a complaint, don't think of it as a chance that you're going to get beat up. You could just see this as a chance to create some healing, help somebody, help understand somebody. I mean, I mean you can also eventually share your side some other in some other moment when the emotion's right and the timing's right. That's it. But right now I need to understand you because you're the one that has the pain. Yeah, that's it. But it's so hard. No, not totally. To yeah. When people are complaining in a way that is not... They're not making I statements. Mm-hmm. You know, when someone says to you, Matt, you know, you, I can't believe you said that to me. How, how inappropriate and yeah. hurtful. You're such it, a jerk, right. You're such a jerk. I mean, of course you're going to feel defensive. This is why it's such a tough nut, because where do you, where do you intervene? Where do you start? Yeah. When, the, when the complaint is more, feels more like an attack, it's because it's not worded well. Right. And then when you've received a complaint that's worded like an attack, it's a lot of work to try to un- untangle yourself from your own defenses and yeah. say, wow, it sounds like I really hurt you. I'm really sorry about that. That's so true. One of our last guests said, listening is the mother of all skills. It is the number one skill all humans need to have, and yet it's the one that still eludes us because our emotions get so caught up into it. Yeah, we're so into our own emotions and our own needs. We forget, even to, with people we love. Yeah. Well, as we wrap this up, Tina, give us, we have about 20 seconds. What would you say is the one key of everything we've talked about, the one thing that we need to remember when it comes to complaints and validation? With complaints, own it. It's your complaint. Own your feelings. And with validation, you don't have to agree to validate. Mm. You just need to see their point of view. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah. And just because I just because I do understand you doesn't mean I agree either. Right. Yeah, that's but cool. I, I want you to know I understand. If, if I were you, I'd probably feel the same way in your shoes. That's right. Yeah. But awesome. Good. good stuff. <laughs> Tina, you did great, my friend. Uh, wonderful, wonderful information. You can go to her website, tinagilbertson.com, tinagilbertson.com, and you can, while you're there, find more out about uh, her book, Constructive Wallowing, How to Beat Bad Feelings by Letting Yourself Have Them. Great stuff, folks. Trying to uh, learn how to communicate, how to listen, how to complain even. Awesome stuff. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll take a break. Come right back with our good buddies down at BYU Sports Nation. everybody to the Matt Townsend show a little Paul McCartney for you 
Let's uh, shoot it down to our good buddies down there at BYU Sports Nation. Hello, Jerem and Brian. What's up, bros? What's up? Okay, guess the song, guess the day. Little Paul McCartney. I don't know that song from Paul McCartney. I know. And the day, it's August 6th. I'm not even going to try. The day is, Brian's like, I'm out of this one. It is uh, Fresh Breath Day. Fresh Breath Day. And that song brought up, you know, your breath. All right. It's Fresh Breath Day. We had two days to choose from. Fresh Breath Day or Root Beer Float Day. Uh, Root Beer Float all the way. Uh, Yeah, I think I would have went with the Root Beer Float Day. Listerine can be any day. Well, that's because you guys are predictable and you want to have predictable (laughs) Root Beer Floats. I knew you'd want that. Absolutely. So that's why I I went with... You know, you could change up your Root Beer Floats. You you don't have to have... You can float anything, can't you, Bri? Yeah. yeah, Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what else have you floated? Um, I've floated some ever... Gushers before. Mm. Um, I've floated some Starburst before. Mm. Uh, I like more of the sweeter. You like the sweet, yeah. Fruitier type of candies. Hmm. What do you put in your root beer floats, Jerem? Standard guy. Boring. Yeah. He's a classic, man. <laughs> <laughs> See, now like Brian's like, catching it, Jerem. That that's, that's actually a song. I know, but you're like, it's Jerem would always break in and do this little falsetto thing. You almost, He's you a almost, classic, man. <laughs> you almost went falsetto for it. I told you my voice was better than Jerem's. Oh, for sure. Sorry, oh, sorry Jerem. Oh, but Jerem's a great here. dancer. I, I believe it. Have you seen Jerem dance? Uh, yeah, Jerem has some pretty cool moves. I don't know mm-hmm. what you're talking about. It's yeah. and, and do the stanky legs. They're really cool. Like they're cool. They're hip. We call it hip in my day. I wouldn't call it hip. I would call them cool. They're pretty cool. They're way what cool. What are we talking about? Hey, I got something for you guys. Did you know? <laughs> guess how many facial expressions a horse can make? Two. Wait, did you say Facebook friends? Facial expressions. Oh. Uh, like, Facebook what? friends, that's Zero. obvious. Hundreds. Facebook friends. Oh Horses are capable of making 17 distinctive facial expressions. Really? Yeah. Wow. What about humans? How much can Putting them second only to cats. Cats can have up to 21 different expressions. Isn't that crazy? I'm, I don't know how many humans really? have. I feel like cats don't have. Facial it seems like cats really only have one. Yeah, they're just hmm. boring. Kind of, yeah, indifferent, angry. Yeah, just mad at the world. Yeah, cats. Interesting. I'm allergic, so I don't like I don't like talking about them. Hey, are you guys doing that thing today that you call a show? Every day. Every day. All day, all day. What's uh what's your topic today? Uh besides breaking down uh, Drake and Meek Mill, uh <laughs> we're going to talk about who the uh the group of receivers that BYU has coming back this season, obviously led by Mitch Matthews, but tremendous group. Who's the sleeper pick to to do something, who's going to have the biggest impact besides Mitch Matthews? Mm. And who are some of the newcomers that you can expect to get to know in the coming weeks during fall camp? Uh, plus, we'll talk to Chief Safety Daniel Sorensen. He was an undrafted free agent last year that made the 53-man roster for the Chiefs. So he's wow. in camp right now. They get ready for their first preseason game next week. David Nixon, one of our analysts, four-year NFL vet, he'll join us. Plus, the BYU Hoops Hawaiian tournament schedule for the Diamond Head Classic is out. Who BYU is playing and which potential old rival is looming in Game 2. Wow. Good stuff. Once that's again. That's just a taste. That's just a sampling. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's like the – it's just – it's like a little – a tiny smorgasbord. The best part of waking up is post them in your cup. <laughs> Are you a post them drinker? Heck no. No, me either. No. Hey, guess what? You guys like spicy food though, don't you? Yes. 
Did you know that spicy food could help you live longer? I heard that. What? Yeah. I actually heard that yesterday. Someone mentioned that in the shop. If you have really spicy food, you won't eat again. That's true. <laughs> so that could, danger. that could save you a lot of calories. No, but it actually decreases spicy food. Eating spicy food every day almost it decreases uh, your risk of death by 14%. Wow. Isn't that crazy? That's, all, that's pretty interesting. I'm all for that. Well, I think some of it's just because it makes your heart race, so it's like you're doing workouts all day. You're oh. sweating a lot. Yeah. The the people, other people with colds and infections stay away from you because of the smell. <laughs> World War Z principle. Mm-hmm. You've burnt out all the bad bacteria in your gut. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a medical doctor. I'm a doctor. Don't get me wrong. I'm a doctor, yeah. not a medical doctor. So you I can't tell you exactly. Stay at a Holiday Inn last night. Yeah, and I did stay at a Holiday Inn. <laughs> That's exactly right. Well, guys, that's a great show. Um, it seems like you guys are getting along well. Uh, no fights. So Brian and I don't fight. It's yeah, Spencer no. and I. Spencer and I are around each other so much. I know. That's why they hired me to BFFs. come work with you two. <laughs> that's, that would be really expensive to that's, do that. That's why I'm here. Yeah. Because I care. We don't really fight guys. that often. I know. You're a good, you're a good combo. Yeah. Like, we share an office, dude. Co- Spencer just retweeted me. Like, everything's good, you know? Oh. Yeah, when you get a retweet, then you're definitely yeah. bros. I don't retweet Spencer a ton. He tre- retweets me more. See? It's yeah. giving, you guys. It's giving. That's yes. what I, I'm glad Serve I can be others. a part of this. Yes. Yeah, better. You, are you unhappy? It. Serve others. Serve others. That's get right. out of yourself. Yeah. Service. And remember. Service. Soy this. Awesome. Well, you guys have a great show. Knock them dead. Keep serving the world. Yank. Okay. Uh oh, hold on. Listen to this. What's going on? Yes, with Certs, the delicious candy mint containing Retson. <laughs> Certs makes your breath as sweet as your smile. Ah. Fresh breath. Day. It's a delicious tasting candy mint. And the perfect breath mint, too. That's right. Certs is two. Two. Mm. Two mints in one. Two mints in with one, Certs, boys. If he kissed you once, <laughs> He'll kiss you again. Certs makes your breath ah. as sweet as your smile. This show brought to you by Certs. Good luck, guys. Go have a great show. Thanks. That's crazy. Certs, two breath mints in one. Anyway, uh, by the way, that sound you heard, that one of the sounds there, was she cooking up bacon or something? What was she doing? It sounded like she was cooking bacon. And I got to tell you this story about Kevin Bacon. Holy cow. This dude's lost his mind. Uh, Kevin Bacon, according to CBS Sacramento, made some comments that he believes that that uh, nudity in movies, there's a double standard, and there needs to be more male nudity. To equalize the standard in movies, we need more uh, nudity. And, you know, that's Kevin Bacon. I think what it is is Kevin Bacon... Like someone's cooking bacon. You hear bacon cooking, Ben? Somewhere. I think that's going on in Kevin's brain right now. He must need a job because he's fried. He needs more. It's just crazy. I don't know. It's we don't need more male nudity. We don't need male nudity. We don't need female nudity in our movies. So Kevin Bacon, don't go out there starting to a new movement. We need to equalize the roles and have everybody more naked in our movies. Oh, come on. You know what? When we get old enough in our careers, there's just a time where you need to go work at the library and read books to the kids. Just go serve the community. Last thing we know need is to equalize something that we don't need at all. Man. 
Um, whatever. I mean, I get it. I get it. They'll all love it in Hollywood, but come on. Anyway, we always like to end the show on a happier note than uh, Kevin Bacon cooking in our kitchen. Um, one of my favorite uh, topics, though, are heroes, and we've got a really great example of a hero. One mailman's desire has changed one young boy's life forever. Ron Lynch, a mailman from Sandy, Utah, was bu- busy delivering his post early one morning when he noticed a young kid sifting through the junk mail bin. When Lynch asked him what he was doing, 12-year-old Matthew Flores responded that he was looking for something to read. Reading, he said, is interesting. Plus, it makes you smarter, the boy said. Matthew told Lynch that he reads the advertisements in the junk mail because he doesn't have any books of his own to read, and bus fare makes it difficult to get to the library. So Lynch decided that if Matthew couldn't go to the library, then the library would come to him. Lynch went home that night and posted a picture of Matthew asking for people's help in collecting some books for him to read. Lynch figured that he would have a few local friends, you know, respond and help him out. But what happened actually astounded him. The post quickly went viral, and Lynch has received response from all over the world, including the U.K., Australia, and India. The books have been delivered to Matthew's home, and he says the doorbell has been ringing for days. Matthew promises to read all of the books and then share them with other children in his neighborhood. I'm just super happy, he says. How cool is that? One postal worker sees an issue, sees the need, and uh, goes out and and makes a difference, folks. That is really, truly what a hero is. A hero doesn't always have to risk their life. They don't always have to, you know, be willing to die. Sometimes all the hero has to do is step up where they are and make a difference. That The mailman could have noticed that and said, okay, well, stay out of the mailbox. It's not yours or whatever. But instead, this one decided to to create a movement, put it up on Facebook, and uh, now cute little Matthew is uh, reading. Huge. By the way, folks, you're a hero to somebody. Will you think about who that is? And will you make a special effort today, tonight, sometime soon to go connect and change that person's life just by simply being there, you know, figuring out what their need is and then making making a attention and time to focus on that need. That's the show, my friends. Again, you can find us on YouTube or on iTunes, on TuneIn. You can go to BYUradio.org to find our podcast. Share them with your friends. We'll be back tomorrow. More tools, more ideas to help you find the good in the world. Until tomorrow, love the people you care about and uh, make it a great one.